0: sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a See behind To all the sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame- yeah you know i've seen a little more gray bristles in there i am i have not people are mad at me at work because i have not had a gray hair i got a couple gray hairs on, on my chin just one or two if i start growing this out started to pop up what i have told you is that um my eyes are starting to go blind. <laughs> i'm going blind like uh no i've always had very good vision all my life i've had like 2020 20 vision and then um past six months or so you know um at night when I'm looking down at the book, everything's just starting to blur. And I'm like, oh, no, what's happening? So I got some readers at the store, put them on, and it works. And I'm like, oh, okay. But everyone, I've heard people tell me that, like in 43, 44. Uh, you know, this is when your, people's eyes start to go if, if they've had good eyes. And I was like, huh, that's malarkey. And then I'm just 44, and it's, yeah. um, it's well, Last so time i went starting to get, see
1: the age. Last time I went to get new glasses, they were like, do you want us to get give you the I, I don't know. They're not bifocals anymore because it's not like that. It's not a line. It's like a degradation.
0: <clears throat> yeah.
1: And I was like, oh, I don't need those. And they're like, well, do you need to take your glasses off to read? I was like, yeah, but I don't mind doing that. Yeah. And, and uh, they're like, well, you know, you're, they're just going to start getting worse from here. This is around the time when the close up reading and stuff, your that part starts to go. And so these have it. I guess they're like, well, it's still like, it's not bad yet. So, cause I guess when you wear regular glasses and then they put like the reader part at the bottom of the glasses, it, it can get really hard to get used to Yeah, because like, you know, this is different. Oh, <laughs> going I, up and down. When like I look through down. the bottom of the glasses is different <laughs> from when I look at the top of the glasses. She's like, but it's still like, it's, it's not a huge difference yet. So like, it'll be easier for you to get used to, but if you wait till it's really bad. Then it'll like be really hard to get used to. So, so you're working yourself up, <laughs> working my way into. A... So the the one the glasses I'm wearing now have like reader things at the bottom of them.
0: I'm surprised at you because I thought you would be like, no, I want bifocals. I want actual. You know, I kind of did. <laughs> ask... You know, <laughs> I did kind of. Can ask... I get the
1: old fashioned? I actually did because I got these at Warby Parker because I don't have an eye plan and Warby Parker's cheap here. I don't know if they're, they have Warby Parker everywhere, but in New York. Have like a fashionable eye place where it's relatively inexpensive. And I did ask, but I guess they don't do that at Warby Parker. I think I'd have to go someplace else.
0: Well, it seems like they do everything. I see those commercials. You know, I guess you know how would be sweet those freaking George Romero glasses you got (laughs) to put the bifocals (laughs) in. Old old, old school bifocals. (laughs) And every time you have to do something, you have to go, you have to look up and. Because I'm at night. I'm wearing. I'm wearing. If I'm reading in bed at night, I'm looking and I keep them down at the. the, And then I look up to the TV. My wife's like, "Why are you doing that? You look like an idiot." I'm like, "Well, that's this is why people have to do it because I don't want to." start looking through everything because then the people have done that and that's how they kind of ruin their eyes. So I'm trying to keep them on the butt. So I kind of look like that studious, you know, they're at the bottom of my nose. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then I'm now I'm just starting to take them on the train so I kind of feel like an idiot like I'm putting them on. You know, <laughs> they don't want anyone to see me or whatever. I'm like, it's almost <laughs> like it's a scandal. You just got to own it, man. You know. Just I only, just feel really like I'm just really you know I always feel so down on myself and I'm really just I really let myself down retro TV <laughs> dad go with like a
1: retro TV dad vibe you wear the, like sometimes you wear like the cardigan <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah just
0: like lean into it. <laughs> Do like the old, the, uh, you know, Dennis Mitchell's father. Well, hey, Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all right. You know, yeah, I might, you know, and maybe if, and if I start graying on my sideburns, I'll get like the, yeah. uh, what's like his face? Mr. Actually, Fantastic. Actually bleached <laughs> yeah.
1: the side of your hair to get gray. <laughs> so it works. You know, I was like,
0: with the crew cut up on top for my awkward head. So at least I'm not losing my hair at the moment, knock on wood. But I'm still growing it. The funny thing is I'm still growing in my beard. You <laughs> know, How old am I now? And I'm like, the past, this is getting into, really. But since it's only me and you talking, Blake. <laughs> Nobody's listening. Um, it's like, yeah, the, the, um, the chest. I'm starting to get more chest hairs in the past 10 years. I'm like, what the? It's like I'm getting, I mean. As you get older, you get hair in weird places, like on your ears or whatever. Yeah, your eyebrows start getting it. crazy. You know, your <laughs> eyebrows—you looking like Mr. Magoo over here? Preach. So I have to get stuff trimmed. Preach, brother. <laughs> Preach. Oh, brother, man. <laughs> but now I'm, I'm still filling in. You know, when we were in college together, the reason why I never had a beard is because it was all patchy. Past five years, it's starting to not get as patchy. So I'm starting to be able to at least have look like semi-good when it grows out. It yeah. still looks like it's pubic hair up here, but, yeah, like, you no, know, you got, but like then a, down... you got, like, a Don Johnson thing going on. It's nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's perpetually you know, perpetually Miami Vice. But in the middle, down <laughs> under my chin, it's, like, there's a whole patch that hasn't grown in yet. Yeah, starting, but you don't want hair like... there
1: anyway. Like, I was thinking about know. getting, like, laser. So, like, <laughs> sick, like right killing, there. killing the all the hair follicles on my neck, because that's the pain in the yeah. ass that I got to shave all the time. It's, like, all this Yeah, exactly. Hair.
0: You got to get... Yeah, I don't get that much neck hair. But yeah, I don't have so an odd one, so if I don't yourself, shave that, it's like
1: consider yourself lucky,
0: man. It's just weird. I'm just it's still coming in. And I'm like, well, I'm gonna get getting older soon. <laughs> you know, I hit puberty, so I don't know. It's weird. But welcome yeah. to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, right? We're here. Uh, you know, we haven't our last um, uh, edition. We was Christmas time, right? That was the last time we 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 posted. Yeah, yeah the last we, we actually yeah. had plans to post. Much earlier than
1: this, but... Uh, yeah,
0: earlier got... in the quarter, the first quarter of the year.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, I got the COVID, and I was yeah out of commission. Like the day before we were supposed to record. <laughs> I got, yeah. I got really sick, and so we had to postpone it, and then work got in the way, and yada, yada, yada. And then there
0: was Valentine's Day. Like drug addiction day. and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Me and Blake had to go out. We had to celebrate you know. Valentine's Day
1: got tea nice box of chocolates
0: <laughs> exactly here you go decided you decided to keep it
1: special and not uh, record that day
0: yeah so because of that um you know it's gotten gotten a little longer than we wanted to we meant to put out earlier but you know, we meant to put out and, and be easy <laughs> earlier cheap date. but um yeah real cheap day but now i
1: mean even you remember in like elementary school where you'd buy like you know all that that sheet of like uh valentine's cards and you'd write everybody's name on them and then everybody would you pass them out everybody would pass out valentine's day cards
0: yeah yeah they'd be almost like they'd be like a uh, paper and you almost yeah. like tear them apart it was and like stuff status like that. symbol
1: like oh i got like the gi joe <laughs> valentine's
0: yeah day. and like julie gave me a <laughs> uh a valentine and i gave one to heather you know it's like that kind of thing or like the girl gives you one like oh you know maria gave you'd
1: me walk- a- somebody a- walk around and hand out like those hearts with yeah. the, those little candy hearts with things
0: on yeah and you have like a little cup and you, they put it in or whatever collecting like here's some and you i don't know um, i don't have children as of yet but i know things have changed since my recollection to it but i guess you can't even bring like you know because of uh maybe people's allergies and stuff some places won't even let you bring food or whatever in because when i was little my mom would like bake me like you know i didn't get you anything so here's some cupcakes to bring in so i'm like my mom brought cupcakes so here's for every kid in the room some cupcakes you know and then you'd have it and yeah you know, was it. well but, yeah
1: someone's birthday <laughs> yeah. they'd bring in cupcakes I don't think my mom ever made cupcakes, but we would, so- I would sometimes be able to bring in like a, bo- we'd, like, on the way to school, my mom would stop and get like a box of munchkins.
0: Oh yeah, munchkins. <laughs> a, yeah. Clutch. And <laughs> the teacher would have munchkins when you came in, you notice there's like two boxes of munchkins. You're like, like, ah, ah. munchkins <laughs> there. Yeah. Ah, Mrs. Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Uh, Caliendo. I'm naming all my old school teachers. Mrs. Benkowski, first grade. <laughs> anyway. Shut up. Uh Yeah, shout out to Mrs. Ferraro, second grade, Mrs. Caliendo, third grade, Mrs. Giannotti, fourth grade, Mrs. Goldberg, fifth grade, Miss Rockwood, sixth grade, and then I lost in seventh grade. I had so many. I don't remember them as well. Mr. Anastas was my science teacher, just in case you wanted to know. If anybody ever want to go, um, they closed my middle school down in Hamden, Connecticut, so um, it's been closed for like 20 years now, they made a new one, but they haven't that's like when we were going there. It, I guess it was built on an old landfill or something like an that. So we Indian were there, and, you know, and, had, and I heard they actually had to repel a couple of Indian attacks while they were making the middle school. So we'd always see dead children hanging, you know, for kids Taking from nooses and stuff. You know, you'd always hear. Um, it was built on a landfill.
1: Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. You know, strange. Billy Holiday. Strange flute. Fruit would always be playing in the background. Um so landfill, so I remember in the early 90s, we go out in the morning, it was always like ridiculously cold going to PA, uh, PE, uh, gym class, and it'd be freezing out, and I remember people talking about like, you know, they'd find like batteries, you know, in the ground and stuff like weird. So anyway, they deemed it that it was uh, toxic or whatever, They so they had to close the school down, so they had to make a new school. I don't know what happened if people, I've actually heard a couple of teachers have died of cancer, so some people, you know, are like, say it was linked to wor- working there for so long, um, but... They've since closed the school down, point is, and if you want to, if you want to, you can go on YouTube and you can go watch those urban explorers go into my middle school where I went because people are in there now, like, investigating. There's, like, that whole sect of people who go exploring abandoned buildings and stuff, so go look up Hamden Middle School online on YouTube. You can find them going through my old middle school, which is crazy because you have a memory of it, and then you see it now. It's all kind of destroyed, like, you know, with the... The, like say the the rack where all the trophies were, or the you know where the office was, or whatever in the classrooms. It's just crazy, you know. We're just getting old.
1: Yeah, things are dying off.
0: I don't even want to tell you, you. You've been to Hamden, where I'm from, but uh, crime is terrible. Ma- where's McDonald's? Where Hamden <laughs> Plaza? Where's McDonald's? It's just, yeah, there's a there's a huge, huge crime epidemic now, and it's crazy. They're doing, like, they're carjacking people, and they're doing armed robberies, and they're, you know, there's sh- drive-by shootings. Where Martin used to live, they found, like, people dead in a car, idling at three in the morning. It's like, what the hell's happening there? The home of Ernest Borgnine and Bord Wilder. I
1: know. It just no, anyway. seems like
0: a regular, typical American suburb, but underneath. I know, but it's just, underneath it yeah, all. It's just, It was building an old Indian (laughs) barrier. Anyway, so welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. We, we, you know, we've been wanting to get back to everybody and, you know, we still have some great um, interaction with people online and stuff like that. And uh, we've been wanting to try to, you know, fill the void and put something out. But then because of everything that's been going on, we've been doing uh, a lot of stuff in life and I don't know, it just seems like time's getting away from us. Uh we didn't really come up with a plan so much as a our regular format, right? With with a movie. We were, we were originally kind of kind of trying to come up with a movie, maybe do like a double header where we recorded like two at the sleepover. But because of everything that's happened, we kind of just was happy to actually let's get something out, record something and, you know, get get something to market. You know, occasionally I
1: I get asked to guest on other people's podcasts and I don't do a whole lot of it anymore. I I very rarely, only like if they they can if it's like a movie if it's people that I like, I really like talking to. And then if it's a movie that, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I would love to talk about that. But
0: I do other people's podcasts and they're so much easier than our podcast. <laughs> I know. I realize that. I haven't done too many, but the ones I have done, it's just, oh, that's all you want to do is just talk about who started it. Well, like, <laughs> that's I, fine.
1: I, well, like, I, I sometimes do these things on uh, like a Sunday a month. These guys do, uh, like you know, Academia Giallo or something whatever and they talk about giallo movies and uh, I've done a few of them and I did the I did two recently Be- they do it live on YouTube and then it just kind of like lives on YouTube but it's an hour it's it's that's like a, it's usually like a pretty strict hour if it goes over it goes over 10 minutes tops and there's like at least 3 to 4 people five people on each episode so, and it's know. visual too, right? Yeah, Besides but it's, audio it's it's like visual, that. but it's like my point is with so many people and so little time, there's only so much you can really do. <laughs> That's a good point, <laughs> you know. Like everybody gets their turn, turn to talk. Last one, the, the last two they did were Argento ones, which is why I kind of sat in. It. it was uh, first it was they did them out of order, but they did uh, bur- uh, four flies on gray velvet and then um cat of nine tales and uh i ended up talking a lot in the cat of nine tales one but um you know it was mostly because i don't know they asked me questions and in typical saturday night movie sleepover fashion i read the novelization for cat of shit <laughs> is that one of the recommendations today <laughs> maybe I, I haven't been doing a ton of reading it's a, it's a, i'll leave prep for those uh argento related things really but um yeah i do that show and it's a breeze you know like because yeah as dion dion knows my bedroom is a mess but for that i put up a green screen yeah i yeah. put a I put a nice background behind me so like the biggest the headache of that whole thing is setting up setting up the studio <laughs> <laughs> to, to do it because it's it's video um, yeah yeah but other than that it's like it's a breeze i sit there i talk about the argento movies that i love and uh and that's it and then but when you and i do it we 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 go for it and that's why unfortunately i feel like we set the bar too high for us i'm sure we have a lot of this complaining on on previous episodes but that's one of the reasons why it's been so hard for us to shell out like regular format shows because they're just they're super time consuming and as we get older we, we lose s- the motivation we just got we got more there's motivation but there's also just you know time things and things that we
0: have responsibilities yeah. I, 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 things to do <laughs> i don't know how we used to do all that when we would we read a novelization or like every two weeks or something we were i mean we were getting it done and and, and we, we were, were writing books at the time yeah <laughs> And, you know, I'm like, where did the time go? <laughs> what the hell? How did we? I don't know how I was able to, like, juggle all With those balls. Day jobs.
1: I was playing live yeah. music gigs. Uh, it was, I don't know. Yeah. And we weren't yeah. even that young then.
0: It wasn't even, no. like, youth. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like our 20s. It wasn't straight out of college. We've been recording now. So this is um, um, March of uh, 2023. This is a Saturday night, March the 18th. We're uh, sitting here. And Blake's, uh, Blake's house, chillaxing. And, and we started recording, what, 2014, all right, was the first. So we've been going strong for, what, nine years then? I mean, this is what Saturday Night Movie Sleepover is proper.
1: Yeah. And, and there then was a year we, or
0: two. prior to that, the Podwits we were doing sidecasts. And we started the Podwits in, like, 2011. And then we went strong 2012, 2013. And then I think you and I went away either 2013 or 2014 to California which is where we did our demo in the in in L.A., the hotel room was kind of like the pilot. Yeah. And I don't know if we used that recording or because that was just like on our phone or we came back and then- I think, you, I think then, you posted it. Yeah. We talked about- so That might be convention. the first thing we did. Yeah. So we've been going strong for at least, I guess that would be 10 years, right? If that was 2013, 2014. I guess so, yeah. As I drink my coffee because um, I it, drink so much tonight, I'm trying to sober up. <laughs> maybe next year-
1: uh... We'll have to do a for pro for proper anniversary. Maybe we'll pull out all the stops <laughs> for the actual tenth anniversary of Saturday night movie sleepovers.
0: No, we'll have to start prepping now then. Uh <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so yeah, so uh it was good to get together and talk. <laughs> it's been talk good talking to you, Blake. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'll see you later. next time. Yeah. Um But so, fill in the void, we wanted to put something out, so, you know, a little hap-dash, but we figured let's talk and and see what we can come up with, and uh, we just came up with some stuff that we can talk about that we've been doing, right? That's basically the premise. Yeah, well, I
1: figured, you know, with Christmas episode, instead of doing one movie, we kind of each chose Christmas specials or Christmas movies um, as kind of recommendations, and it was not as labor intensive as the regular show. And so when we wanted to put something out, you know, it's not quite that format, but I figured, you know, like in the meantime, we have been watching things and listening to things and reading things. And, um, maybe we just kind of, uh, talk about stuff that we've either discovered recently or rediscovered, you know, in recent times and in know in like a, uh, I don't know, either a recommendation type platform or just like to bring awareness to things. Like, hey, I, you know, I saw this thing recently. One of those kinds of shows. I'm sure people do yeah, those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's a format somewhere.
0: Yeah, that's what we used to do on Podewitz. It was very topical with today, this week's stories and stuff like that. I mean, then that I've said to you before, that kind of almost became dated because then it's hard to go back and they're not evergreens anymore, so to speak. You're talking very specifically about time frames. so we're talking about when the first Avengers movie came out, say, or whatever the heck, or speculation yeah. on this or that, or you know. So, um, you know, it's, and there's so much out there nowadays. I mean, I watch some stuff on YouTube and stuff, but I'm not really. Do you still listen to other people's podcasts, or you you listen to Stern? Like, do you have still daily routines? Or... I
1: still listen to Stern. Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of like and when Stern's not on, like when he's on vacation and I'm caught up, especially now that I don't travel to, for work. It takes me forever to get caught up because I only listen to it, you know, when I'm in the bathroom (laughs) yeah, (laughs) or like doing the dishes, you know, going for a walk. I've been trying to, because I don't leave the apartment anymore. I do try to go out and get my steps in. Um, Yeah. So I'll listen to it as I'm just like walking around, which is I've, I've developed kind of a loose hobby in that, that, that I think is right up your alley, which is when in my walking. I live in Midtown, and unfortunately with Midtown Manhattan, there doesn't seem to be as much of an effort to preserve like the history of New York City as other parts of, of Manhattan because they're just developing always. But I live in Hell's Kitchen, and there's still like a lot of old walk-ups and stuff, so I go around, and when I see an old one, I stop and I look at it and I look on my phone to see when it was built. And so like, I'm like, so most of my neighborhood, the, the older buildings that still exist were built between like 1890 and 1910. And so like,
0: I'm like, and oh. you're, you're just, you're Googling it. Like, yeah, they, they you're Googling like, uh, it.
1: And usually like you find like on a real, on like a real estate, you know, when they're trying to rent out apartments, sometimes like they'll write, joints, <laughs> they'll write when the, when the building was built. Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. But like I lived near like the landmark uh, bar. I forget what's the landmark. But that building was that that bar has been there since like 1863. It's one of the longest running, consistently running. Um, and uh, except for you know, during Prohibition, then they had a speakeasy on the third floor. (laughs) They ran like they ran like moonshine out of out of the top floor, but uh, but that's one of the older buildings over on Eleventh Avenue over. As you, over there you get some of the older ones but immediate yeah. like theater district it's still like oh like that this super old building and i'll look it up and you know admire you know the uniqueness of it and try to figure out like so that's my new hobby i know you're into that kind of stuff the old signs and stuff and yeah so, so when i walk yeah, around I would- my neighborhood if i spot a building i was like yeah i wonder
0: when that building
1: was built and i'll take a look and
0: well, start sending me pictures. Start, <laughs> start sending me, you know, because I've always kind of done that walking back and forth from Grand Central to where I work is on 47th and 6th. So I'm like on the upper tip of Times Square and I'm kind of near where you are because the other side of Times Square is Hell's Kitchen there yeah. on the west side. <clears throat> so like um, then I was driving and during COVID they, they gave us free parking. So I would drive in and then being able to come in because I take the west side highway, come in on the west side and go through and see stuff like that. It's, I completely agree with you now. Midtown is, it's insane now because there was a while, I think, right around the financial bust of 2009, 10, 11, where kind of construction stopped and there was some weird thing with permits. I don't know if the old mayor de Blasio, there's something. And then in like 2015 or 16, they started again in like a real fervor. And then it's everything stopped, of course, with COVID. And then now everything's picked up again, you know. So it's insane now to see how quick stuff's getting knocked down and putting up like they they knocked a block down next to Grand Central on 42nd and Vanderbilt and I watched every night the progression of that building being built and then COVID happened so I missed the kind of the tail end of it and then now I've been taking the train again since October and um I walk by, it's done, you know, and it's amazing to think like, oh my God, this thing, you know, so it looks new to me, like it's just like a spaceship that just landed, and now there's other, there's these big developments, because they did this big, like, they connected the Long Island Railroad to Grand Central, because traditionally, the Long Island Railroad comes into Penn Station, so now it's coming into Grand Central, so they opened up this whole other, it's called Grand Central Madison, and it's under Madison Avenue, runs the length of Madison from 42nd to 48th, and they just opened it like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and it's amazing it kind of cut you know it get, getting long-winded but anyway been, you big, get up it's big see, news if you live here <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's, it's crazy cuz it, they were supposed to be done with it in 2012 and the the overruns it's it's been what 11 years over you know but you, when you're done you understand why because they were using those sand hogs and those big things that cut through the you know so it's insane like oh my gosh it's, a, it's a, like catacomb but uh when you're walking around midtown they're just dropping entire blocks. So there's these buildings that are like not even that old. I mean, some of them you could tell if they're only like four stories tall, that means they're over a hundred years old. They're not skyscrapers. Okay. And some of them, a lot of them are still here on the West side or, or certain areas in midtown, but the other buildings that are newer, they're just knocking down. So you could tell you'll notice like one, you know, one building will empty another building will empty. And then before you know it, you realize the whole front of the street or a facade or a corner is gone. And then they'll just knock the buildings down and they're putting up these skyscrapers that are just these glass behemoths that look just so kind of crazy and funky. So the aesthetics of the, you know, the retro art deco or whatever style they are, buildings, and and, you know, perioded to these are just so weird looking. So... They're very quickly, it's changing, it's evolving, you know? And we're getting these huge, crazy skyscrapers, too, you know, that are nuts. Yeah. Um, well, that's part and, of it, because,
1: like, as doing my, as my walking, like, I'll walk to other parts of the city, you know? And then, so I'll walk down into, like, Chelsea, Soho, and stuff like that, and I'll I'll notice that, you know, it's just it's more well-preserved than, than up here, because they're just knocking down buildings that are throwing up these huge skyscrapers, and so... It gave me an appreciation for what I walk around my own neighborhood to be like, yeah, to take in like, you know what, like, you know, there's, it's crazy to think. I mean, every, obviously, everywhere anybody lives, there's like huge history. But I mean, New York City and and all that stuff. And like, I wanted to, if anybody's out there, an, an app developer, contact me, <laughs> want to help me with this project. I would love to like, if you can stop at a corner. And, like, hold up your phone and, like, GPS, well, you could have, like, a, a, a database where it'll show you, like, a, a picture of what it used to look like on that corner, you know, like, wherever you are. Oh, wow,
0: yeah. <clears throat> and yeah, have, like, the, the photos. Yeah, like, it'll
1: yeah. bring up a bunch of photos of the area for, like, where you are. So, be like, you know, what did this corner that I live on now used to look like in, like, 1890? If there's photos of it, it'll access a database. and because it station. Be like, or like the time movie
0: station, too. How crazy... How crazy would that be? Where you can have like, um, you know, there's like the uh, uh, internet movie database, but there's other ones. There's the internet, there's the internet firearm movie database, I think. It, and then there's the internet internet movie car database, where you have and so you can look anything up, and it's like the 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 automobile one. You you look at that one, and it's like you see every vehicle, even in the background that we're in a movie. There's stills, you know, so you can figure out what the hell else you're looking for at whatever time. So that'd be cool if you had something where you were able to go on a database, put your location in, and then it gives you stills of this is where, you know, Death Wish the, at Smith's the bar where Bronson shot the guy, or, or you know, this is Die Hard 3 where they were running down the, you know, or they had to pick the phone booth up or something. Yeah, there's a, you know, cool, that'd be cool. There's
1: a cool Facebook group that I follow. that's called like 40 Deuce or something like that. And it's like Times Square, most specifically yeah. 42nd Street. But it's just like photos of Times Square throughout the, Years throughout the century, you know, throughout the last century, and since I, you know, I live very close there. It's often like my neighborhood, <laughs> so it's very cool. Maybe that's why all this started. Like, oh, like that's corner eighth and fucking and this, but um, and like that's cool. And you see people, the fashions, and sometimes you see a yeah. building in the background of stuff, and it's like, huh, like this is really cool. So. You know, I've been trying to get out of New York for a long time, but uh I figure since I'm stuck here, I might as well
0: really really embrace it <laughs> while, while you're still while you're still there. But And uh, I don't want to completely shit on all the buildings. I mean there's uh, I watched this amazing documentary about um one of these newer buildings. There's a couple new high high rises on the Central Park what is that, uh 59, 60, whatever wherever uh, the bottom of Central Park is by where like the plaza is, that street yeah. um, that that's uh, borders the where Central Park starts. They've put up these huge Park Avenue skyscrapers that are really colossal things that are, I think, the tallest. They might be even taller than, they aren't taller than the Empire State Building. They're taller than, or as tall as the Freedom Tower. Uh, and they put this other one up which is a sliver, and it was this. Was, the documentary was about like they got this land, and it was like a plot of land. Like they took a brownstone down, and they had to figure out how. And of course, they have like all the money in the world to do all this. So they had these architects come in, like on such a small footprint. How do we put a building that high, and how do we condense everything? So they put it up, and they did it in a certain way. They had to design it so that they knew which way the wind would be coming. You know, so it's so it's it, it's built in a certain way so that the wind wouldn't affect it. Uh, at the very top of the building they had to have the upper bit of it as almost like a counterweight there's a pedestal up there so if it, if there's bad weather and the building shakes up top the counterweight moves in the other direction to keep the building from swaying too much and there's only like enough for maybe one elevator bank or two at most because the building it's really the size of an apartment I forget you know you got to think about but and then there's like every other floor or two floors or five floors there's a floor of holes so that the wind can blow through you know so it's just ingenious like i am a fan of architecture i mean i'm a simpleton i don't really i can't tell you what is what but i love seeing like stuff like that when they design these things and how it so they finished it and then where i was in midtown looking up sixth avenue i would see the thing you know because then you see these big cranes being put up there to uh on top of these buildings, you know, some guy in a crane is like lifting stuff up and stuff. So you'd see these things being built. So I'd seen it being built and then, you know, to watch this dock. So it is kind of incredible to see some of this stuff, the accomplishments. So that's cool. But it just sucks because of that. You know, it, it is your, 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 these other, you know, history is becoming victims of whatever, mm-hmm. you know, of progress, you know. You know, we, we once joked about calling this kind of show. The tangent, and I think this is a perfect example. <laughs> this is this is y'all. Welcome to another exciting edition of the tangent. I am the tangifier, the tangerine, the tangentuous. But anyway, just, we uh, don't. Anyway, so and i don't talk to each other as
1: much as we used to. So yeah. when we get together, it's it's a lot of
0: catching. Yeah, on. we, we yeah, we're actually. This is a this is a a works What do you call that? Like a workshop? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're workshopping all this right now. Uh, so yeah, so we've been watching stuff. I mean, and then full disclosure, I don't really, I'm so out of it now. I mean, I don't watch that much new stuff. And Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I do, I'm, but I wasn't going to talk
1: about that stuff here because. You know, yeah. Like you said, that, day, that date stuff. Whereas, you know,
0: if we're talking about stuff from like 1979, that's been dated a long time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I'm so behind. And then the my, my whole psychosis is now I'm, I'm working with these young people who've just come in we're in their early twenties and it's just like, I'm so out of it. Like I'm now middle-aged, you know, I'm having to come to the, to the conclusion that the old guy, um, yeah, because it's like, I I don't, you know, there's no frame. The the other broad thing, which I'm sure people, you know, are already aware of who listen to us and stuff is that it's like, I I don't know. We, I think we've lamented on here before about us having that collective, uh, childhood, the memory, the yearning where it's like, because we were a captive audience because of the circumstances of the world, you know, uh, there weren't as many TV channels as there is now. You know, you everyone would watch Carson or everyone would watch this. So if you didn't like, I don't know, Jackie Gleason or whoever the hell, you, made, you, you still have a frame of reference on who he was, Michael Jackson or anybody. You know, nowadays, I think because there's so much diversity of being able to do whatever the heck you want, and there's all these other new, well, I guess they're not new, like stuff like gaming and stuff like that. It's incredible now that people just... There everyone has their own head down their own little rabbit hole, and so there's people who have no frame of reference, so even which we've talked about again on this podcast in the past, where you know we knew a lot about our prior generations because it was so still culturally culturally relevant. you know we had a frame of reference of who you know Glenn Miller was or something obscure. you might not listened or whatever, but you still had heard of it, where now I feel like that's gone, you know the young people because they've been immersed in the internet or whatever or yeah whatever the heck they're doing now, there's so much information coming at them of this day and age that they have, unless they go seek it out or they have parents who expose it to them, whatever, you know, so there's, that the point is, there's a big wall now, I feel like, of people, I can't even talk to people about, you know, old music or whatever, yeah. because it's like, I'm they, you don't, know. they don't know what court should have, courtship of eddie's father was (laughs) no exactly i mean classic rock to them is pearl jam and it's like wow nirvana you know that's classic rock that's their parents rock and roll Where it's like you know it's like it's and that's weird to think we're at the age it's like that's like probably when i was into the doors in high school my parents were thinking about well that was only 20 years ago you know it's like when you start thinking of time increments 20 years it's just you know we were what was it 25 years ago we were in college Yeah. Quarter century ago. Right. I mean, that's, but it's still, it's still, we keep saying this all the time. It still feels like I've only been out for like a year. I mean, mentally, I mean, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're getting older. We're getting more gray. So it's just, it's just, it's crazy, you know? So, uh, you know, with (laughs) with
1: COVID, I I laid in bed and watched a lot of stuff. But uh, as Dion knows a little bit about it, I've been on this quest recently and I don't know if I'll do anything with it. I have, um, I, I've been, I obviously I'm making a documentary, so I can't really devote a whole lot of time to it in terms of practical working, but I'm, I'm toying with the idea of writing a book about eighties and nineties martial arts movies. And so most of what I've been watching is very much related to that topic. So I've been on this <laughs> quest of eighties and nineties martial arts movies. Uh, so now are
0: you, you taking it seriously enough to to I, what I mean by that is like, are you kind of getting ahead of the game and watching these and making any notes or anything make, like that? I've so been you have,
1: making bullet points. Yeah, you know, I have. A yeah, go, okay. I have so a, that when
0: you don't have to go back and rewatch everything for you know, I have a Google Doc and uh, so that I can access it, it on my technology. phone or wherever. Nights. And I watch, and as I'm
1: watching, or when I'm finished watching, I'll I'll jot down a bunch of bullet points of like you know things that stood out to me because I figure things like cast, director, that stuff is easy. It, accessible like but but what i felt about it um yeah so for the most part i just have this ongoing list and and uh you know i always considered myself a fan of martial arts movies and uh especially growing up in the 80s and 90s thinking my of myself as someone of a of a connoisseur but turns out i wasn't even close because really when i look back on it all i really can think about is you know like Van Damme, seagull chuck norris and then maybe a couple of offshoot things that i see bill some billy blank's movies <laughs> you know but it turns out tudikov there's a, of course yes the like <laughs> the american ninja movies um but uh turns out there's this whole wild like the the amount of movies i've been kind of like collecting and finding and it's, it's immense. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's of that cl- era too. Yeah. Like, stuff, like, like specifically USA, like, of like yeah. the eighties and nineties, I'm not even talking and, about yeah. like, you know, the explode, the Bruce Lee explosion and everything that came out kind of in yeah. the seventies based on that and, and the things before that. Um, but you know, of course you have some of Jackie's best action movies are in the eighties and,
0: and, and, well, I, what would you say to, to, to query you about that? Because I never thought about it. When you think about Bruce Lee putting the martial art movies, you know, for whatever point uh, in 71 when Enter the Dragon came out on the American scene. Yeah. And they've always been here in like, you know, art houses. And then, uh, you know, you think about the black exploitation movies kind of took some of that, too, because they liked it. So you'd have some of that mixed in there where people are doing kung fu or whatever the hell. When do you think and then you had the sunny Chiba stuff, you know, but that wasn't really American mainstream. When yeah. do you think it started coming into us? Was it like the late seventies or early eighties? I mean, was it when Chuck Norris came on the the block, kind of, kind of brought the, because Bruce Lee dies quickly, so who kind of holds the torch and brings the vogue? I guess it just becomes a parallel that's kind of um, uh, serendipitous to marry action when we hit the action movies of the late seventies into the eighties.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know. That there was like that Bruce exploitation thing, which is what kind of in a way what Sonny Chiba kind of was birthed out of, you know. Um, yeah, I think I think it really kind of has to do with one the popularity of martial arts in large part due to the popularity of Bruce Lee, but not entirely. But for I'm talking about in like in America, you know, I'm not talking about obviously. In the e in the east, it was <laughs> there's a whole different thing going on it. But I'm talking about like American popularity. I think it just happened to coincide with like the hunger for action movies. It, yeah, you know, I think that's kind of where it was like a perfect fit for for that early '80s action scene. And yeah, I think Chuck Norris had had a ton to do with that. But um, you know, if you think of everything by
0: '85, it was like yeah, you well, know, you think about our childhood. Even karate yeah. kid, you everything, know, there was, yeah, it was all that. Stuff. You, but yeah, such everywhere you looked, we had ninjas on TV. We had ninja, you know. We had ninjas. Chuck Norris had his own cartoon. <laughs> ninja T were, had his own cartoon. Ninja, you know. So it were was big. the mission, mission in action. I mean, it just seemed everywhere you looked. By that, by the mid '80s, it was solid. You know, martial art movies. Mainstream as can be you know it was the mate it was just just as you know it's it's just as iconic as you think of like Reagan of the eighties You think of like canon or Gullin and Globus movies these you know these martial arts um soirees
1: yeah and I you know this kind of started with and these aren't the movies I'm going to talk about uh, today but it started with I just happened to go down this rabbit hole where I watched best of the best with Eric Roberts Chris Penn you know classic Kind of tournament style uh, martial art movie from like uh, late 80s. Um, and then I was like, well, there's a t- best of the best too. So I ended up watching all four of the best of the best movies. And in watching those, that's when I was like, you know, this is its own thing. You know, obviously, every decade, every era, every generation can look back. You can look at it and say, like, they had their own thing. You know, like, the 70s is a very specific thing. But it was, like, to me, there's something really unique about martial arts movies from, like, our youth. It had to do with the birth of the video store and the accessibility and then the need to fill the demand for vhs in video stores the budgets you had things like canon it was just like a beautiful time and then you get like that 90 early 90s weirdness that took over like cinema <laughs> you know like for yeah. for fat for like kids where it was just like things just got a little weird for a while and of course there was always that but it was very weird and it was weird in its own specific way and so i just started thinking about Everything from as Dion knows, and as people that listen to the show know, like Karate Kids, one of my favorite movies of all time. So it was like that's a martial arts movie from the eighties when you really think about it. And of course, I love Van Damme, and you know, I grew up with Seagal. Dion's a big Seagal f-
0: movie fan, and uh, well, this is reminding me a lot about his book that you gave me for yeah. one of my birthdays, and it was and, part of that um, too. It was like that. That book, book is really <laughs> good, and it's not. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a fair comparison. I think you're going to make something like that because that book is tongue in cheek, but at the same time, it gives the, those Seagal movies all a fair shake, and that's enjoyable. It's not really, you know, poking fun so much at it that it's become a parody. It's like it's like, hey, you know what? Yeah, they they are what they are. It's kind of like this podcast, but you know what? We're going to just embrace it. and Let's go and give it an honest dissection of each. You know, so that book ended up being really enjoyable, and I even though they go through each movie of his up until I forget whenever the book was published. So it's this past 10 years probably isn't, you know, and whatever he's doing now in Russia of all places. Um, but, it's really good. It's a good book. It was it, it held my interest. I read the whole darn thing, and it made me go watch a couple of his movies that I hadn't seen that they recommended. So, do you think that's the kind of format you'll be? Because it, it's making me remind me of this is you know that book. Yeah, that we'll see. I mean, I
1: I can't really start it till I'm done the documentary. So, I, like, I'm a couple of years away before I even dive into yeah, exactly. this thing. So, who knows if I'll even do it? But you know, there's too many for me to do like this definitive guide. There's just too many. But I was thinking maybe yeah. I'll do like 100. I'll pick a number that's reasonable to do because of like my favorites or like the best weirdest (laughs) ones. And, uh, you know, of course me, I love talking to people. So maybe I would try to interview, uh, people. I don't know. It's still, but right now I'm in this research phase where I'm really excited about it. I'm just watching all these movies and discovering ones that I either never heard of or, or never saw, you know, I'm watching a lot of sequels and finding that, that, that sometimes the sequels are better than the original ones. Like, I think, uh, definitely in my opinion, like, uh, American Ninja two is better than American Ninja one. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I felt that, uh, in a lot of ways, best, the best two was kind of be- better than best, the best one. Uh, I've been watching the blood sport sequels and the kickboxer sequels. And, uh, it's been diving down this weird rabbit hole, but, uh, So I'm warning that most of my recommendations have to do with that. But since that's very (laughs) sleepover-esque. This
0: is where we're going. Yeah, yeah.
1: But one movie, the first movie that I would like to kind of shout out to, which was a movie that completely missed me in 1993. And it's called uh, Shoot Fighter, Fight to the Death. And uh, it stars Bolo Young, who we all know from, I mean, our our generation knows him as the bad guy from bloodsport but he was in enter the he fights bruce lee at the beginning of enter the dragon and uh, it also Bolo. and it also stars william zapka from karate kid and martin cove from karate kid
0: who doesn't love little martin cove slept over here a little while ago a couple of years back him and wilfer brimley when the in the uh, sleeping bags it's very
1: much like in the, in the style of a, of a tournament, um, martial arts movie. Uh, William Zapka owns like a dojo and I think his master is Bolo Young and, uh, or Young. I don't know how to pronounce it. That's a trademark. That's a patented Saturday night movie sleepover thing. We don't know how to pronounce anybody's
0: <laughs> name. Because <laughs> we don't know how to read. Well, at least I don't. And,
1: uh. He and uh, his buddy, who I can't seem to find his name exactly, but he's got, he's, you know, he's run into financial problems. And uh, William Zapka, he ends up like getting mugged or something and he fights back. And like the thrill of actually fighting and like putting his martial art into use has become like a drug for him. And he ends up entering this kind of illegal shoot fighting tournament that's uh is being run by martin cove to uh uh try to raise money but what he doesn't realize when he gets into it is like the fights are to the death <laughs> and <Fuck>. uh <laughs> uh totally entertaining act, like really embracing that early 90s gore that uh, kind of became popular in horror and all in action movies um, a lot of familiar faces if you watch it from people that uh, you would recognize if you grew up when we grew up and watched television and movies. But uh, Martin Cove has like he's got longer hair in it that's kind of like sun kissed bleach. He looks great, <laughs> he's very cool. That was the style, you know, <laughs> that was the style. very, very moldy,
0: very cool. Uh, you know, that. That's like you know Richard Gene Anderson. You see the tail end of the MacGyver years. You know how it got kind of like you know he was the, the sun was kissing him on the, on the head every day. You know, it's like, getting a little like blondish up top. You know, yeah. But it's uh, you know it, it really looks like they sh- they they shot Martin
1: Coven one day. Like you know, like <laughs> they got all the stuff done wrapped. Then they shot the rest of the movie. Uh, but um, it's fun. It was definitely it was kind of it was it's right if you like something like Bloodsport. I mean, the martial arts action, for the most part, isn't as intricate as some of the movies get. Especially nowadays, we're kind of like uh, post-Crouching Tiger and Matrix. Like, we've gotten kind of used to a very smooth, flashy style of martial arts movies. But if you if you dig that, like, late 80s, early 90s, definitely it's very very much a time capsule. What's its, it called again? Uh, it's called Shoot Fighter fight to the death and there's also a shoot fighter too. but uh <laughs> shoot fighter 2 <laughs> shoot fighter but uh totally worthwhile if you're into this kind of thing and uh that was a movie that like i said news to me when i discovered it so that's, yeah. that's kind of like my the, my first uh intro my introduction to this this portion of the show where we're going to talk about things we've seen recently that are worth noting
0: um, let's see, I've got, uh, I had an honorable mention because it's very recent and I figured I should throw something in because I've only seen like two recent things and I had, and you probably, you know, uh, agree with me, but this, but that I would have liked this movie. I watched bullet train over Christmas break and I loved it. I had such a great I want, it was the movie I wanted to see in the theater last year I didn't get to see it in the theater so when it finally came out on streaming or whatever I watched it and I just had such a good time because it was just so like it was like for me when I watched um when we got out of college, you know, I was kind of – the movies were kind of sour for me because, in you know, in anything, you had learned how to dissect, whatever. So, like, I was still looking at movies a weird way. And then when finally I saw the first Pirates of the Caribbean in the theaters, it kind of – I enjoyed it, you know. It was like I think – you know, maybe it was that with you with the Mummy movies. I forget what – you said there was something serious that you just completely – you Know, uh, ended up really enjoying it. Was so, that
1: and first Matrix was definitely that for yeah. me? Yeah,
0: it was like I forgot
1: why I wanted to make movies because we were in the middle of film school and it was just like I was really down on it. And then when I saw Matrix, I was like, Oh, yeah, that's why I love movies. That's yeah, this the, what and, I'm
0: feeling right now is why I love movies, and I hadn't felt it in a long time. And that's how this that's how I kind of felt about Bullet Train, which was weird. I mean, it was it's a it's a it's a quirky movie. It's very much in the style of a Tarantino, uh, uh, Guy Ritchie, that kind of a thing. And sometimes that could get on my nerves because I'm kind of, you know, you've had such a gluttony of that kind of thing. People copying this could be not good. So it's, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed the cast. It was very funny. So uh, the special effects are awesome. And it's a me- blend of East and West. So. And it's based off, I think it's based off a, uh, a, a graphic no, no, it's based off a novel, I think, um, that's also from maybe Japan as well. So, And I, I love the Japanese culture. My wife and I, we watch sumo wrestling. Um, yeah, I Japanese, watch sumo you know. wrestling, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to go to next time it's around, we're going to try to go to a sumo match if it's in New York, you know. So I, we watch yeah. sumo all the time. I got to, t- to watch k- sumo. Uh, There's yeah.
1: a Sonny Chiba movie called Bullet Train. And um, I haven't seen it in so long since I did my initial like Sonny Chiba fest back in the nineties. Um, yeah, I wonder if that's because um, Sonny Chiba. A lot of those Sunny Chiba movies they're Japanese. We kind of like we, you know, we don't know as Westerners because they're dubbed in English and whatever. We're like we just we just don't know that. But those Sunny Chiba movies were Japanese back then. So uh, I mean, they still are. But you know, so I wonder if it's. If, I saw Bullet. I watched Bullet Train in my. COVID exile and I agree Uh, I typically can be turned off pretty quickly to the Quentin Tarantino-esque stuff in fact I watched I watched um, Wrath of Man which is a Guy Ritchie movie with Jason Statham and um, totally by the end I got into it but it was it was really tough getting in getting me into it because it was like this is like Somebody tried like to make over. somebody tried to make a Michael Mann movie using a Quentin Tarantino script or something, and it's just like everything about it was just reading false to me. But yeah. I would admit, Bullet Train, it was a lot of fun, and I got yeah, I... I got very into it. Once you kind of get past that snarky, yeah, you, you get into the world, overly written, kind of like Quentin Tarantino esque dialogue. Once you once your ear gets adapted to it. It was it was a good time. I totally agree.
0: Yeah, I, I really it just got me fun and lucky. I was like, this is this is good, and I love Brad Pitt and stuff like that. And it's just it was it just all, everything was funny about and Thomas the Tank and you know, all that. All the aspects about it were just zany, you know. And it's it's sometimes for me as a stickler I am for, like, realism and, like, suspension of disbelief, which can kind of, like, destroy me, like, at the outset. Other times, it's just, like, I don't know. It's almost like watching, like, a, like a Bollywood movie or something. You realize that they're doing it differently. They're, they're trying to do something different, so you don't really... You're not as critical for a certain reason or whatever. So, like, my sp- suspension of disbelief kind of goes away. It's, like, oh, you real... You know, so I... It sucked me right in. Some of these ones that aren't really that going to be... You know, you don't think anything of. You go in with a no real kind of... um uh, uh, ex- expectation it's fun to have something that ends up being fun and you like it for what it is so like i, I like that um but the movie i was going to recommend uh documentary from 2017 uh, actually which is now actually a couple of years ago but uh we had just watched it uh, last month and it was called wait for your laugh from 2017 it's a documentary about uh rose marie the lady who was the people will know her from the dick van dyke show dick van dyke on that show was a writer and in the he used to write with Maury Amsterdam. Uh, they used to write a fictional show. And in it, the writers were Maury Amsterdam and this other woman, Rose Marie. And she was a child actress that started like in vaudeville and was literally put on the stage at such an early age. And she went through and she was hugely famous at the time as a child actress making a segue into to uh, adulthood. And then, you know, she got a big time on Dick Van Dyke show. But they interview in 2017 and she ends up passing away in 2017 as well. Uh, but it's amazing to, to just, uh, see a woman doing all this stuff back then and going through the world and and just having her live her life and the whole, that always fascinates me. People who started out in vaudeville or silent movies and then make a segue like Mickey Rooney kind of did up until when he died, you know, that, that these people are, you know, kind of almost dying off at this point. And it was a real fun documentary, um, about her explaining stuff, being a comedian and, you know, almost... You know, paving the way of, like, where Joan Rivers went in the early 60s and stuff like that. She was doing it and that kind of a thing. So, uh, wait for your laugh about Rose Marie from 2017. I thoroughly enjoyed. A little doc, if you Did like you see? Do you see the doc about the automat? No, you told me that last time, and I forgot that. Yeah, what is that, that on? on? You would love that.
1: I yeah, you told
0: I... me that, and I said I would love that. I'll have to just...
1: I mean, I loved
0: it, but, you know, Matt.
1: it's off. definitely yeah. that's an era and all that stuff is stuff that we, sh- you know, we share and talk about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally worth checking out. Um, you know, the I didn't know that it, they started in Philadelphia, the company yeah. that uh, creates them. But, uh, yeah, totally. You know, I always make a distinction. I always feel like most people don't, which is like there's a difference between a documentary that's a fast that has that is capturing that, that is tackling a fascinating subject or a subject that you're interested in and a good and a good movie like a good documentary and i think people confuse those sometimes where they're like they enjoyed it because they're interested in that subject matter and they learned something but at the end of the day it's not really a good documentary but the automat movie i feel like it's both like it's really it's interesting no, and it's really well done <laughs> It is entertaining. It's got people like Mel Brooks talking about when he was a kid going to the automat uh, with his, you know, with his friends or with his family and how special it was. But uh, and I think I'll... you
0: brought this up at Christmas time, and, and uh, you said to me then that there was an automat still around when we were in New York. Like, we yeah, could have I actually probably, it probably around went that the time automat. that I watched the documentary. Yeah, and you said that there was an automat still like on Forty Second Street, maybe or something. Yeah, like Yeah, no, a little around... bit,
1: maybe Thirty 39th, something. There was still one kind of in the Times Square area. Into
0: the late '90s, and uh, unfortunately, we we missed it. We missed it. We went to the other place. That, remember the what was it? Uh, remember the pizza place that was diagonal to Bryant Park? That the, they took the whole building down, and now it's maybe the Verizon yeah. headquarters. Or I something? talk about that pizza
1: place a lot. In fact, there was something on. They were screening something on Joe Bob, like during COVID, uh, on Shutter. And you know those things are live. You know, you're. I mean, I don't know if the show's live, but you're watching it streaming. You know, you're not yeah. watching it on demand, and there was something, and it was like a shot of like a car making that turn onto Sixth Avenue or something, and I was like, oh, and you that... saw this, and I was like, that pizza place. <laughs> I like I, I think it that. was
0: like a raise or something. I forget what it was, but it was something that was a chain or something, and uh, you know. But anyway, it's it's so that era. It's that that sucks that we missed a. You know, that auto mat. Yeah, well, think, I awesome. mean, going back we, to- We your... went to the Howard Johnson's. We, we already said yeah, that, though, but... that. Yeah, I missed that Howard Johnson's That was the only time so... I ate the Howard Johnson's, me and you eating there, and then I had a hair in my fries. I was like, I <laughs> it's okay, the Howard Johnson's.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, that uh, Times Square Howard Johnson's that's in the background of every New York movie for yeah, decades and decades. Uh, going back to the, I have to check out that documentary. What was it called, the one you watched?
0: Um, wait for Your Laugh. You know, think about because how progressive like that's advice she's saying that is.
1: Think of how progressive it was that they're portraying them writing for a comedy show and that there was a female writer. Yeah.
0: Like in the, yeah, sh-
1: like in the just, show. Yeah, and she's just as funny in the show as a you know, as a writer. Because um, even now, I mean, now it's obviously starting to change, but I mean it's still still a man's world. I mean, it's been really great to watch a lot of television and things and see female names. As directors, in a lot of television and stuff. I mean, it's great that it's changing, but to think that back then, um, that they would have like, I don't know, the foresight to, yeah, cast a woman as a female comedy writer. Uh,
0: yeah, doing uh, shtick for what's his face for what was it? Um, Ron, Ron, Rob Reiner, maybe? No, um, Carl, the father, Carl Reiner, Carl Reiner, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's quite amazing. It was it's, so it's a great documentary, and it, that just refers to her. I forget advice someone gave her advice. Maybe it was like Buster Keaton or somebody, Fatty, Ar- somebody of the, of an era that's iconic. And they were like, you would know, say your joke, and then you wait for your laugh. Then you take the beat and you give the whatever you know, and that, that's yeah. where the, the title comes from. When you're I on just stage go
1: or I went through a, I just went down like a little bit of a vaudeville rabbit hole a couple of weeks ago because I was like, somehow, oh, I was watching Price is Right. And Monty Hall's price is right? <laughs> no, the new one with Drew,
0: with oh, Drew Carey. Um, yeah. And Not Monty Hall. It's um, Bob Barker. Gene Rayburn. Bob Barker. Monty Hall was- uh, uh, Let's make the, a deal. The, the, what, let's make a deal, yeah.
1: And uh, one of the prizes was a trip to Niagara Falls.
0: Niagara Falls. <laughs> and Drew went, Niagara Falls. He didn't do
1: the whole thing, but he said, Niagara Falls. And step I, by step, and I went then, and I went down this rabbit hole of like researching the Niagara Falls bit, <laughs> and how it's like nobody, you, nobody's quite sure where it started, and sometimes it was Niagara Falls, sometimes it was another location. I knew it growing up from the Three Stooges, yeah, but, you know, Abbott and Costello did a version of it. Uh, so there's just these so. I don't know. Just remind you were talking about uh, the vaudeville stuff how they these I vaudeville ga- routines that just get got like passed around through the years into film.
0: It's like covering a song or something like that or like you know it's something funny. I had a guy who I work with who lives in Staten Island and he was trying to get rid of a steamer trunk and he's like you want it and I was like I don't have room for a steamer trunk and it and I um I forget the guy's name Eddie Foy, maybe his is, is, is I'm thinking offhand, but it it belonged to a vaudeville comedian who would take it on the road, play cards on it. Abbott and Costello played cards on it. And, uh, he had gotten it somehow. I forgot why, but he says also that Eddie Foy, if, if that's the correct name, uh, Supposedly, was the guy who created the Niagara Falls routine, and I was like, "Really?" Because I, like, I know the Niagara Falls routine, <laughs> so I was, I was, I was this close of going driving to Staten Island one day and grabbing this huge steamer trunk, which I had no room for and do not need. You know that you open up and there's yeah. like you know like coat hangers and stuff right <laughs> yeah, out you know, of like you Christmas, you know. Your up. Yeah, you know, you, you have the ironing board. You lay down in there. You know, I mean, it's like that is you kind know, of
1: but- amazing, though.
0: Yeah, it's history. I mean, it's been if it's been on the road, you know, Susquehanna or, like, you know, Kalamazoo, it's been on the circuit. Like, that's, you know, how people... So for the history of it, I was going to get it, but I, I forgot what ended up happening. Maybe I think the, at the last minute, his wife was like, no, you can't get rid of that. I want it for the history. And he's like, I thought you wanted to get rid of stuff. So he's like, I'm so... I never ended up getting it, but I think the guy supposedly was linked to the Niagara Falls uh, routine. Amazing. But I'm a huge fan of that era, and there is a a, a, a book which you might, if you're digging... Um, vaudeville there's a book called i think it's called um uh, no applause please and it's like uh just just, i I think it's called no applause please just give us money or something and it's done by a local writer to blake and i in new york and he's like a um and and uh td i forget his name but i follow him on um on Instagram or Facebook. And he lives like in Brooklyn. He does like a lot of like Coney Island century stuff, but he wrote a whole uh, book on vaudeville. And it really is amazing because it also encompasses the advent of the theater, the lows and all those people building the, the the regional theaters and what was happening, Schubert's and stuff like that. And the the monopoly and what was going on. And then, Oh, I mean, it goes through everything about the routine of, you know, uh, there's 12 acts, you know, and-, and it's almost like a cycle. Like if you go to see a sideshow, how it kind of rotates. So you can come in, get air conditioned, sit down, watch an hour or two, and then you leave where you came in. And then they talk about, say, you know, that uh, sometimes headlining wasn't the proper place for you to be. So if you're the most famous person on the ticket, you may be like, Two before the end, you know, because they know people will leave. I forget. It's, it's just fascinating. And then, you know, the animal abuse, they would like, you know, the dog yeah. trainers are putting cigarettes out under the dog's armpits or spraying them with water, like horrible stuff, you know. So it's all that kind of, it's just amazing. It, that fascinates me. I'd love to do a kind of a movie or story that takes place in that era, you know, like where you'd be in these theaters that were like their own little cities, these opera houses or whatever, where it's the backstage is, you know, bustling like the Muppet Show, you know. So I, I found that fascinating. So that's a great book called No Applause, Please. Uh, but uh, I, I think T. Travers, T.T.S.T. Travers, that might be his name. But anyway, that's off of memory, and my memory's shit. So uh, <laughs> Wait for Your Laugh is the documentary. And that's 2017, and I realized, you know, that's not kind of recent. <laughs> you know, that's freaking, f- f- what, f- yeah. six years ago. So that's why I did the Bullet Train Honorable Mention.
1: Well, in my exploits to uh, find martial arts movies from the 80s and 90s, especially ones I hadn't seen before, I discovered that there was a live-action, not Asian, adaptation of Fist of the North Star, which, uh, for people that don't know, was a popular uh, manga, I believe, Um, and then became a anime movie and i think there was anime cartoon show and um all this stuff uh you know fist of north star is definitely kind of like a rite of passage as an anime movie for people that at least our generation when we were getting into if you were to get into anime the ones that were available here in the 90s that was definitely one akira Ninja Scroll, maybe Golgo 13, Fist, uh, Vampire Hunter Fist, D. Yeah, those were those were part of the big ones. But apparently in the early 90s there was a live action adaptation which was directed by a name that you're going to love but it's not who you're thinking. Tony Randall.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tony Randall did this. <laughs> hey everybody. <laughs> I don't have a Tony Randall impression. That'd be amazing. <laughs> but That'd be
1: it... <laughs> crazy. <laughs> but we need to check their outfits. <laughs> but it's, uh, there's also a director named Tony Randall who had done... Um, he's probably best known for directing uh, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. But he did a live-action version of... Uh, he directed a live-action version of uh, Fist of the North Star, which uh, score by uh, Christopher L. Stone... Who I interviewed for Score to Death, the podcast. He's not in the books, but uh, Chris Stone is a fascinating guy. The interview is really amazing. If you ever wanted to know where the voice of the Cylons from the original <laughs> uh, Battlestar Galactica and the whoosh, whoosh of the Eye Ooh, Light and then then got used as Kit in Knight Rider, it was Christopher L. Stone that gave us those sound effects. Holy uh, shit! But. uh Listen to this cast. I mean, Gary Daniels is not a name that most people are going to know, but apparently I've just come to discover that Gary Daniels was a big martial arts cinema star in his own right in uh, the late 80s and early 90s, um, very much in the kind of the style of a of a poor man's Van Damme. But uh, Chris, Chris Penn is in it. Wow. Melvin Van Peebles is in it. Downtown Julie. Melvin, Br- not Mario. No, Melvin, the
0: dad. <laughs> the father, yeah, the dad. Uh downtown Julie Brown is in it. Who I'm who I'm it, it, Twitter fans friends with, and she sometimes likes my posts. I'm like, thanks, downtown Julie Brown. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell's in it. Nice. Um look, yeah, it's
1: very much an Anglicized <laughs> kind of version of martial arts. But Oh, you know who else is in it is, um, I don't remember his real name. I apologize. Rufio from Hook.
0: Oh, yeah, the kid, yeah. <laughs> I just saw somebody yesterday walking around with that hairstyle. <laughs> I was like, he's doing a Rufio He's, rock, he's rocking yeah, a... the Rufio? Yeah. But uh,
1: really, it, like, Fist of North Star, 1995, you know, Uh, very A lot of fun. It's ambitious in its in what it's trying to do, and it's got that weird, cartoony a touch of that weird cartoony thing that like happened in the early nineties with, say Ninja Turtles, say Ninja Turtles, but more more like Super Mario Brothers the movie, Double Dragon the movie, a little bit of. Not as goofy, but a little bit like uh, gra- Garbage Pail Kids, the movie. You know, <laughs> like things got a little weird there. Howard the Duck, some cartoony like, uh, like he punches, he like kicks a guy or punches a guy in the face, and then he turns to the camera and his jaws like over, like on the other side of his face, like in a very cartoony like, uh, makeup job. Like yeah, like in a makeup job, but very like extreme and kind of. Not in a horrific, gory makeup job, but like in a kind of like funny as as for a joke. Um, Really ambitious. Very cool what they ended up doing because, you know, clearly there's not a gigantic budget behind it. But really going for like this post-apocalyptic world. Like I said, all-star cast. (laughs) Uh, Gary Daniels is the lead. Unfortunately, he doesn't have, like, the charisma and charmingness of, like, Van Damme, but uh, still delivers a a decent performance with, like, a ridiculous mullet. Kind um, <laughs> A lot of fun. I, it was totally a revelation to me. And when I watched it, I was like, you know, it totally brought me back to that, like, early 90s. Fantasy, a little bit, you know, in the vein of you know Masters Universe, but not like the modern day stuff, like the the attorney stuff before. It just was really cool, and uh, I mean that's kind of like the best way to describe it. It was cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, again, absolutely a time capsule, um, but really ambitious, and successful in a while out of ways that it totally could have fallen short um absolutely i mean it's a little unfortunate that you know all the heroes and stuff are not asian when it's clearly even in the story context like a very asian influence <laughs> you know story but uh, for the early 90s that was early to mid 90s that, that was kind of to be expected But if you haven't checked it out, I I think people who are into the kinds of movies that I was just talking about and that
0: era, I think it's a fun fun
1: roller coaster ride.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, You got me thinking of uh, I saw a movie in the fall with Tony Randall and the actor, uh, which I really enjoyed it was called will success spoil uh rock Hunter. And it's a quick movie he did in the late fifties with James Mansfield. And it's kind of like her playing the Marilyn Monroe part. And she's a fame, the most famous woman in the world. And she's the bombshell everyone loves and all this stuff, this model. And she gets tied up with him and he's like a young bachelor. And then she starts liking him. And I forget if he has a girlfriend, but it's a zany fun fifties, technicolor cinema scope kind of movie where, you know, she's this, you know, really hot dish. And, um, you know, everyone's trying to find her and she goes and like hides out in his apartment in the, in New York city and stuff like that. It's very fun and zany and Tony Randall's playing that part of the young guy. Like, Oh, I don't know. And kind of like, it kind of mirrors a little bit of the, what is that? This, the seven year itch kind of in a way that kind of feel where he's like the guy trying to like, you know, do good things for the, the bombshell girl or whatever it is. So, uh, you made me think of that because i haven't seen too many tony randall movies and i saw that in the fall was well, like, this, not, is really, this is really this was really enjoyable there's,
1: there's not a ton where he's like the lead i mean he's often yeah, like it, a sidekick kind of in like and, in he's, and him Hudson. also
0: playing that role him playing like a a young, almost like a jack lemon kind of a character from like the apartment or something where he's like trying to like you know he's a good guy you like him but he's not like um he doesn't look like Tab Hunter or, you know, Eastwood or whoever the hell in the 50s, like the, the, the real smoke show, like James Dean or something. He looks more like a, you know, like a, I don't know, like a conservative 50s, Guy with the you know that goes to work at the office and comes home and is boring or whatever. I think he might have a girlfriend too. I forget if he's married or has a girlfriend or whatever. And then that's where the complication happens because suddenly James Mansfield is hanging out at his apartment. (laughs) You know, I mean, and you know she's of course walking around like half naked. You know what I mean, and like that. And then the the reporters are like you know outside with their cameras and they're broadcasting live. So he's like seeing it on TV that they're outside his house. So it's fun. Um, But uh, I. Also found for an older movie, the um, a couple of years ago, what was that that Nightmare Alley came out, and I know you had interviewed. Did you didn't you do something with the composer? You talked I interviewed about the, composer. the composer
1: for Fangoria, yeah,
0: yeah, and I saw that. And I enjoyed that movie, and then I didn't realize that there was an original from 1947 with Tyrone oh, yeah. Power, Joan Bondell, and um the other gentleman who Mike Mizuka Mizuki, if I'm pronouncing that wrong mizuki and he's the guy who back to our dick tracy episode he was like 90 something years old and he's the guy that's sitting in the lobby when what's his face is upstairs 88 keys uh saying you can't frame me dick tracy when they frame him and they shoot dick van dyke and kill him uh we brought up and when we were talking about the tr- facts about it that that guy had been in stuff for years and since we, we recognized him from the dick tracy episode and i saw him and knew his name i see him all the time now yeah this i see him in all these different shows of the air and all that so i picked him up in this and he plays the um the strong man he plays the um in the remake it's played by ron perlman but he plays that part yeah. so uh but the original tyrone power plays the bradley cooper part joan bondell plays the female role um i th- i forget if she plays the love interest or she plays the role that kate blanchett not kate was it kate blanchett in the remake yeah yeah, plays. I forget, but I loved it. It was a great film. noir, cautionary tale, black and white. Uh, and I'm I'm always such a like a ham for. I guess it goes into the, like why I like vaudeville. Like I love seeing like the that era of like the carnival, carny circuit. You know, it's like kind of like what you get with freaks, although that's you know overseas. But I love. You don't see. It's like almost like the greatest show on earth. That movie from the 50s with the, you know about the circus and all that kind of thing. So, uh, I loved it. And, you know, learning about like what the original meaning of geek is. Like when we think today, if you're a geek, a geek is like a guy who just knows a lot. But back in the day, the geek term was originally about like sideshow freaks and stuff like that. And, uh, I find, I I almost enjoyed a little more than the newer one just because it was so up my alley and I didn't see where it was going and he's kind of a likable guy and it's not, I forget if they don't paint him too much in a picture of what he's doing with, um. Like if you know he's kind of playing the part or he's w- w- exploiting people, but anyway, I really enjoyed that one from nineteen forty seven. Yeah, year. that one is great. I think I agree. I like it better than the newer one, and
1: yeah. I like the new one. Don't get me wrong. And the first time I watched the newer one, I really liked it. I watched it um, to interview him, and yeah, you know, it was the first time I was like, I was as a as a press guy was given like a perk in that you know disney like piped it into my computer <laughs> like before it came out so that i wow. could so that i could watch it before i interviewed the composer and the composer's yeah. great he did um unfortunately his name escapes me and i apologize but he did a lot of movies i like he does a lot of he worked a lot with ryan johnson so he did brick was one of his first movies which is a movie i like yeah. a lot but he did like the knives out um yeah movie and stuff like that but yeah the original the, i mean it's based on a, they're both based on a book but yeah, um, that original movie is, is really, um, great and dark. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. And I love that whole era of, you know, you know, i I love film noir and also the yeah, which era is, of
1: that. I mean, that. it's darkness is, I think why it gets lumped in with the film noir movies, even though it's, yeah. it's story isn't traditionally working no. on a new, a noir trope, but it definitely has that kind of like dark feel and the content and the content, obviously, if you've seen the original one, you know, the basic story. Yeah, yeah. That, I agree. That movie's awesome.
0: And they're pretty much faithful in the sense of the remake kind of almost goes, you know, because it's based off the same story. They, it has the similar structure where they're not kind of reinventing the wheel too much with the newer one. And that also might be a freedom because I forget who directed the remake. Was it um, Guillermo del Toro? Del Toro. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like nowadays you're seeing less and less of like the auteur theory. Where you're getting the only reason why certain movies are getting made the way they are is because you have a Spielberg behind them or a del Toro or like a Tarantino where nowadays like these, these super superhero movies are like, you know, there's a director behind it, but there's 40 cooks in the kitchen doing various stuff. So a lot of times the directors that still have the clout are able to make the movies they want to make. And then you can say, that's an example of them being a kind of an auteur. A- tour So I felt like, You know, Nightmare Alley was able to get... The newer one was able to get some of that stuff done because it was him helming it. You know, like I enjoyed his new Pinocchio that just came out. That was fun. All that stop-motion animation and stuff like that. So it's fun seeing something when you have a a newer thing. You know, when you have a director who's able to keep control and not have the studios or whoever the hell else come in and and fuck shit up or whatever. Yeah. yeah, So um, it was nice that it did mirror a lot of the original's plots. But it, it wasn't enough that when I watched the original it was ruining things for me because it yeah. did kind of have different, you know, Tyrone Power was awesome and there's different performances and stuff like that. And speaking of Joan Bondell, she, funny enough, she's in that will the will success uh, spoil Richard Hunter. She's like the friend in it and something like that. So like a Joan <laughs> Bondell connection there. So, well, you know what I thought,
1: my, what I thought uh, when I saw um, the remake or the, the newer version of Nightmare Alley is that yeah i mean Guillermo del Toro without a doubt is kind of a modern day auteur and that movie reeks of Guillermo del Toro but what's interesting about it is like his movies typically deal very much in the in fantasy and the fantastic where that movie is very much like the opposite of that it's like showing yeah. you behind the curtain you know it's like the anti fantasy movie it's almost like a but, re- it ha- but almost it, like but with his but with his sensibilities, yeah, it was it was an interesting combination that I did really enjoy about that movie.
0: It's kind of like how Scorsese did like Cape Fear. it's like you know he's kind of doing something slightly different, but it's enough to stamp it, oh, it's definitely this, but it's nice to see them kind of out of their you know, I don't know out of their playground doing something different, but it has a lot of their elements in it, you know, uh. And then how much, you know, I and I don't know why I didn't know that, I guess maybe no one was ever leading that it's a remake of the popular 40s, because people that by that time, like, they're like, ah, we don't, that one's even going to know. <laughs> you know, so I, I thought it was him originally, and then it was coming on, like on some of these channels, I get that play film noir stuff on Sunday nights, I just tape as much as I can, and some yeah. of these movies are amazing. You know, but, um, and that's the shtick with me, which I've said before in the past year, where it's like, I end up watching a lot of old stuff that's new to me, which I haven't seen, you know, yeah. TV or whatever. So it's just fun, you know, because I'm almost, nowadays I, I get so overwhelmed, but there's so much to watch and it's just so, have you watched this? Have you watched that? Have you watched The Last of Us? Have you watched 1980, 1883? Have you watched uh, the Ozarks? Have you watched Yellowstone? I'm like, I just, I don't know where you get the time. Yeah, there's,
1: there's, there's too stuff much like stuff. That.
0: Too much. You know, and then it just, it almost, it brings my anxiety level up. It's almost getting <laughs> accurate, like, like yeah. no, really, it's weird. I, I don't know. It's like yeah. getting like an irk of mine. Like, I'll never have time. I'm not going to have time to watch it all. It's like, who cares? I'm like, I do. You know like, what I did enjoy. I used I, to watch I don't want to like, we'll go down a rabbit
1: hole on it because it's not, yeah. you know, but I really enjoyed the uh, Tulsa King with Stallone.
0: Yeah, I heard that's That's another one I heard is good. Yeah. yeah. I really uh, like that.
1: I mean, yeah, that's another one.
0: That's on Paramount? I believe Paramount so, yeah. Cluster? because there's I mean, another almost, thing on Paramount plus that someone fan, said that's but also I thought good. it was
1: good, you know, not just yeah, I didn't yeah. like it just because Stallone was in it. <laughs> sure. I like cuz I thought it was good. Uh okay, uh, you know, I don't want to recommend too many more things because we've been talking for a long time, but I, I figured uh, uh you know, Dion and I watch older television often, and this isn't going way way down the alley, but uh go to slightly down the alley and I picked this one because I feel like it would be a little bit of interest to you, Dion. Is I started watching, I'm only a few episodes in. So I I think, I believe there might be only one season of it. 13 episodes. I'm still in the first third of this show. The Master. Have you heard of this show? Um, I think I have. 1984.
0: Yeah. Lee Van Cleef as a ninja. (laughs) Yes. I saw him do an interview about that. I saw him on a talk show and he's like on a carster or something and he's got his like you know, his butterfly collar open. He's had this huge medallion. Yeah, he wears this hanging. medallion in the show. Yeah. And he was on and he's like, I got a new show. It's a ninja I'm a ninja. It's called uh he's, you because know, <laughs> he got that kind of popularity boost again, I think with maybe Escape from New York, Escape he was kinda back York, on the yeah. scene. And then he's also you right know,
1: around that time he's in um I mean, not right around the time of Escape from New York. Not as the show, he's in. Uh, is it called the Octagon? With yeah, Chuck, yeah, Chuck Norris, which is a ninja movie. Yeah. He's in yeah. that, so he was kind of making a comeback, right? You know, in the, around then.
0: Yeah, we're uh, we're in like Black Fatigues, you know, like doing like Lee Marvin stuff, you know, like.
1: Uh, he plays a Lee Van Cleef plays a, a, a an American military man who was a world war II and Korean war vet. And then just decides to stay in Japan and becomes a ninja. <laughs> you can do it. If you got the ambition, <laughs> whatever you set your mind to. Yeah, you could do it. And, and of course the culture's going to be like, sure, <laughs> we'll share it with you. And, uh, it kind of opens with, uh, he gets attacked by ninjas, uh, rival ninjas,
0: <laughs> And he has. This is shot over there. I mean, mean, I was probably supposed to be in
1: Asia. I mean, it was probably. Yeah, but but
0: it's it's supposed to be Miami or something. (laughs) Okay. And he finds out
1: that he has a daughter, or he knows he has a daughter, but he's never met her. And he decides, I forget why, he decides that he's going to go to America to find his daughter. So that that leads us to America, and he ends up in the first episode, uh, meeting meeting this guy who's named Max, who's played by Timothy Van Patten, who's the son of uh, Dick Van Patten. Dick, actor, who I spent the entire first episode of the show being like, "Who does he sound like? He sounds exactly like somebody, Timothy Van Patten. And by the end of the episode, I'm happy to say I did remember I discovered, oh, he sounds exactly like D. Snyder. He talks exactly <laughs> like D Snyder. Talk. They must be from like the same neighborhood in Brooklyn or something like they have exactly the same. Uh, voice almost talking yeah. voice, not singing voice, obviously. Uh, Demi Moore's in the first episode and it becomes very much he befriends. Uh, Lee Van Cleef defends, uh, befriends Timothy Van Patten's character. Timothy Van Patten wants to become a ninja, wants to learn the way of the ninja. So it's like we have this buddy mentor mentee relationship and they're like traveling to find Lee Van Cleef's daughter. So they're like, they got that drifter mentality of movie, like a, a credible Hulk <laughs> type thing where it's like town to town, getting into having to use their super ninja powers to, uh,
0: their super ninja <laughs> to, to, to help people in need. Uh, and how oh, many, um, how many, se- how many seasons? you said One season, time? 13 episodes. Okay. Uh,
1: okay. I I think the opening theme song, or not, it's not a song, but the opening theme piece of music written by Joe, uh, written by Bill Conti, uh, who's one oh, of my favorite composers. Rocky, uh, Karate Kid, uh, Dynasty, Caddy and Lacy, yeah. some <laughs> of the greatest yeah. themes of all time. Um, a lot of you know coming up. There's going to be a lot of uh, you know faces. Even if you just look at the AMDP page, who's going to be in the episodes? Clue like, Gulliger, uh clue. Cool. A bun- you know, a bunch of familiar faces. A lot of fun. The funny thing is, you know, you learn this from I believe from the commentary from Skate From New York that uh Lee Van Cleef had like horrible knees. Like he had like no cartilage in between his knees or whatever. it wasn't like the old days. It's not like now where they just like inject it and stuff into your yeah, like dead gelin. Yeah. So for him to like walk with Snake, you know, on uh Liberty Island that tracking shot apparently was really difficult for him to do. So if the fact that he's playing a ninja,
0: <laughs> you can only you realize imagine. well, like why well, these guys sometimes like fall back in alcoholism. There's you no know, as a as a buffer. There's a
1: scene in a, an episode I watched recently where like this waitress like drops a tray some you know jerk bumped into her or whatever. He kneels down, gets like on one knee to help her, and as he's getting up, I can just like. I can see it uh, in his face <laughs> that it's
0: painful. You only do one take,
1: <laughs> but like every time he gets into ninja mode, it's like clearly a stuntman with like a like a a male pattern baldness cap on and a fake mustache. You know, I I feel like you know now that we're watching things in like high definition on giant screens, that shit's like really noticeable. But back then, that's on ti- f- yeah on tiny. You know, sometimes black and white. If <laughs> you grew up in my house.
0: <laughs> yeah, same with me. You don't, you don't. I, and I used to see that they used to joke about it like on Family Guy or whatever. But nowadays it's very evident watching like Star Trek, the, the, the original series, or watching like stuff in the 80s, like a TJ Hooker or Knight Rider. You see, you know, when they cut to these long shots, it's clearly some dude in a wig. Sometimes you might even have a stat. You know, it's like that yeah, ridiculous I you do know remember
1: I mean? one of my only memories of being a kid and, have, and really noticing it. Was an episode of Dukes of Hazard, and I think it was, um, you know, not uh, not Tom Snyder, but the uh, but the other guy, Tom this Wolpat? Can- Tom Wolpat's riding a horse, and then it cuts to like a stuntman on a horse, and the guy has a mustache
0: <laughs> and being like, "Wait, what? <laughs> Who's what that? the hell?" that's it's just it's so that's how it was I, because i'm what i'm watching on saturday nights i'm watching star trek when it airs they'll always cut to this wide shot when everyone starts grappling and it's like yeah. wow the, you know the enterprise is huge and then they're throwing people around like con well, or whoever the hell else and close-ups inserts you know it's shatner and then suddenly you could tell it's you know people get thrown and they roll and i'm looking when they get back up and it's clear you know then you see it's not them it's somebody else and sometimes even the body frame is a little different, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's sometimes it's really funny and noticeable. Um, but I mean, it goes back to that era of like, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood where it's like those, those stunt guys were like just brutal dudes doing anything, you know, and it's, it's amazing. That You know, that era of light with them doing stuff and, and you know, the, the 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 fatigue they put their bodies through. And in the era of the 80s where this, this Lee Van Cleef show is, it's, you know, guys like Vic Morrow. It's like, you know, they're, they're aging, but they're, they they want to stay relevant or whatever. or They're getting paid. They have a gig. So they'll take the gig over the comfortability, you know, and they'll, they may do their own stunts or whatever, a little bit of it. So it's like, you know, they're doing it. It's a job. You got to do it. So that, that sometimes it's tough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of amazing.
1: I mean, as you can see. I'm not just I'm not just exploring movies of the era. I'm also diving into television shows, sure. and martial arts movies. But it's like you know, a guy with a fake head, claw claw crawling up like a phone line, and then like high wiring across the the phone cable, and then it cuts Jeez. to like a low angle of Lee Van Cleef like pretending like he's trying to balance. And then he jump, and then the stunt man jumps down onto the top of a car, cr- totally crushes the top of the car. But then it cuts to the car taking, like, starting to drive off and leaving Cleef laying across like a totally, like, undented top of a car, and it just like drive slowly off screen with him on top and then it cuts to like this car <laughs> <laughs> doing 90 miles an hour yeah. <laughs> this worst done guy trying
0: to trying to hold on he just you know he just belted in and, and then he's flying around they don't even give him they don't even give him a, like a, you know a harness they just have him hold on and do it you know I mean, some of that stuff is just treacherous that they were doing back. oh, then. yeah, I mean, but it's reasons. it's a lot I mean, of fun I getting, think
1: you know if you if you could yeah. find it streaming somewhere, I think you would uh you'd get into this show uh, it's just you know, <laughs> I guess, it's only thirteen episodes, so um but yeah, that's that's
0: been the fun fun my no, now that I'm done Quincy,
1: and, oh,
0: and, I've been uh, watching Quincy now because he's on in the morning, so I'm watching Quincy is an example i every time I watch it because I knew you were watching it, it's so funny. You know, you've always talked about how casting these days compared to back then and how, like, you know, you wouldn't get a lot of that. Like, you know, getting Jack Hugman to be the lead is one thing. But then you look at how they fill the whole cast of Quincy out. The dude who owns the bar, uh, what's his name? Oh, of the bar? Danny. Paul, yeah. Paul, <laughs> Danny, him, the, the captain or the sergeant, the white haired guy, yeah. the other dude who's Quincy's boss with the stash. It's like these dudes are all just like, not be actors, but they're just character actors who just have such a look that, you know, only in the 70s on like Mannix or Canon or shows of that ilk will you get people, you know, they just fill them out with these guys like Danny or whatever the hell. And it's, yeah. just, it's just hilarious because nowadays they'd be like being played by like 20 year olds looking like dudes from the remake of Hawaii 500 Magnum PI. Totally. You wouldn't get guys looking like Klugman. It, you know, you know what the I mean, funny thing is. This is a homicide.
1: There's, um, <laughs> there's an episode of Quincy. Where I, it's been a, I spent most of COVID waking my way through Quincy, slowly. I wasn't binging it, maybe once a night, not every night. Um, but there's an episode where, uh, Violet Beauregard's dad from Willy Wonka the movie, the, the Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory, the movie. So Mister Beauregard is in it. I think he gets in a car accident, and it's an episode I think where like. You know, Quincy became very much like uh, a cause, an episode, like to write, to bring awareness to like that this hospital system screw up or yeah, know, that one. I think in my recollection, this one might be about like how there's like a, there's po- there's like politics in terms of like which, if you're get an ambulance, like which hospital it'll go to, you know, stuff oh, like yeah. that. So he goes to like one hospital and like his daughter ends up going into another hospital. And, um, you know, I, I believe my recollection, you know, obviously somebody has got to die. It's Quincy. He's a corner. So <laughs> I, th- I feel like Mr. Beauregard bites it in that episode because of like poor hospital care. He gets taken to the wrong hospital or, or something like that. But like, you know, Quincy's going through Quincy and Sam are going through like, you know, Mr. Beauregard age 40. I was like 40. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that guy
0: yeah. That guy is 60 on a good day. Did you look day. him up? Did you look him up to see the episode and how old he was? No, I didn't. Because but... sometimes I have to do that. Because sometimes you see this guy who looks like fucking Abe Vagoda And they're like, he's 35. Uh, and I'm like, what? That guy is, no, you know, come on. He looks like my dad. And you look him up and it's like, wow, okay, he's 48. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's a couple years older than me. But Some uh, of that stuff
1: what? is what Mr. Beauregard, I wouldn't even imagine that he was 40 in Willy Wonka, which was like,
0: <laughs> yeah. you know, 8 years 2 before. years prior, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um Quincy's great because it's like I just think of how hard it is to write that show because you're saying since it's such vast uh you have to be so knowledgeable about whatever you're talking about about that episode and then the intricacies of the policies and stuff like that and then as well as like, you know, Quincy the most active ME I've ever seen because he's coming in, he's arresting people, like, all right, Quincy. He's like, can I cross examine the witness? And you're like, this isn't usually allowed, but since you are a medical examiner, go for it. You know since like, you like, are the, star of the show, things. go for yeah. it. Yeah, so this is your show. You know, he's coming in, he's, you know, or he's, you know, the, the, just the, the craziest stuff that's going on and stuff like that. That he, you know, you think that, and I was like, wow, I MEs mean, are, you know, it's like Michael Bodden doing all that stuff. It's like crazy. There's you know, so but I, I've been
1: enjoying that. There's a movie that, and this is like totally a weird tangent, but it's connected in my head and that's why I bring it up. There's a movie that Joe Bob showed sometime over COVID called The Baby. And it's about how there's like this social worker who checks in on this family and it's like a mother who, um, you know, you might recognize her, might not, but totally typical like 70s aging starlet you know, yeah, uh, is plays the mother and she's got like a couple of daughters and they have a, she has a son who's an adult, you know, probably in his twenties who is a baby and he's like in a diaper and he, and the whole thing is like, and there's a social worker and they're trying to figure out like, are they keeping him a baby so that they can get, you
0: know, like social security or something, you know, (laughs) Well, is he, is he a baby? He's not a baby as in, like, the fetishes where people now do that to be a baby because they want to... You mean, like, even psych- mentally, He's, he's, he's never, like a child. He's old? never aged
1: mentally past
0: okay being an infant.
1: So he's not... So he's still... So he's not actually two yeah. years old and, and, is a, and is just a giant man like Benjamin Button or whatever. He's, like, actually, like, 20-something years old, but he's still a baby inside. Yeah. And, um... And so it's this thing where, like, the social worker, and they're trying to figure out, like, is this a scam? Are they are they trying to just get money out of the system for, like, what, I don't remember what? Like, some social thing. And because I was watching Quincy at that time, like, in my head, they are locked. And so in my head, it's like, remember that crazy episode of Quincy where the guy's a baby? <laughs> 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 because I was like, I was like waist deep in Quincy when I saw that movie, i was totally like in my head, like that was one crazy episode
0: of Quincy. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I've been loving Quincy. I've been watching him in the morning because, um, my, another honorable mention I was going to do was emergency, the show from, um, the old days that they play that three episodes a day in the morning and they play two episodes of Quincy in the morning. So if I have it on in the background, I'll, knock out a Quincy or two if I'm riding, and then I'll see emergency and I've actually cycled through emergency so much. Cause I love those procedurals and stuff like that. Um, so it's funny, you know, I, I've, I've had a big, cause I remember when I was little seeing emergency on in rerun and thinking the name of the show was the, ee, aw, ee, you know, where I didn't realize <laughs> it's called emergency. And, um, so I've been really enjoying that show on cozy TV, a channel. Isn't and one of the guys from right isn't
1: one of the guys from emergency in an episode of MacGyver plays a, uh, He's the fire, the fire inspector. There's some like guys. There's like some guys setting bombs up, and Macgyver's like old friend is a fire inspector.
0: I feel like it, of, is, do you, it's Roy DeSoto or it's the, the, the dark, Johnny the Gage, dark, one of the, the two? dark-haired one. Uh, uh, r- 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 what's his face? Mantooth, uh, yeah, Randy yeah, Rudolph yeah, Mantooth. Man. <laughs>
1: Wolfman Jack, man too. Yeah, we'll, yeah we'll like, hey, what's up, MacGyver? What's
0: going on? Um, I, that's another thing too, because you're so you've watched MacGyver recently. Yeah. I'm still working off a thirty, forty year not not thirty, forty, uh, yeah, thirty year old knowledge. So when I catch it, I and then the other thing is I don't like watching it on Heroes and Icons, the channel that they play it on, because they play it slightly sped up sometimes. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's it's weird. They do that on that show a lot with um, the tour duty show from the '80s. Yeah. You know, and they do it with another show too. I've seen on there, so I don't tend to watch as, that channel as much. But um, it's weird to come back to MacGyver. I don't know why something's going on. MacGyver. <laughs> and we're gonna, it's just thinking about it so, and and you know, thinking of my child and looking at it now and being so divorced from it and watching it again. It's just so weird. But you're you're more up on it than I am because I haven't seen it in yeah, so long. Yeah, I watched. Like it I more caught an episode time. with Murdoch a couple of 2 2 or 3 months ago and it, that was that was exciting. I see it's on Pluto uh,
1: sometimes late at night. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I love Pluto TV. Man, I just love Pluto it TV. Love so me Pluto. um it love me some Pluto. Uh, but I was going to it since you I uh, you brought up Quin, Quincy Ninja and then I said Emergency. That was Emergency was going to be my honorable mention cuz I, I I've been having a lot of fun with it and I've actually cycled through the seven seasons cuz it's interesting cuz you think about when it started. Everything was big, the procedurals in like the early 70s. And then by the time it ends in 79, it's like, you know, people aren't watching the Irwin Allen disaster movies anymore. They're more going into space with all the space operas and stuff like that. So they do a couple TV movies near the end of the, the run where it's like the two of them just going to other cities and it's a whole new cast. So I don't know if they were just trying to reboot and do another series that never got greenlit. But um, they doing these little TV movies, and they're very much like you know the Towering Inferno episode or the uh, B- B- Poseidon Adventure Burning Boat episode or whatever. You know, so it's exciting seeing how they're doing all this on a budget too. To think <laughs> yeah. about nowadays, you know, they have a plane crash and they have to set all that up. You know, it's like it's just it, that's another thing that allures me about older television or movies, just to think that they actually had to physically, you know, Buster Keaton's the general. They have to be, you know. Two train tracks going 70 miles an <laughs> hour with, you know, him, the, all the actors on one train doing the physicality with the camera on the other tra- track or in a car going the same speed. It's like, you know, nowadays everything's CGI or rear screen pre- projection or, you know, process shots. It's just amazing that they were actually doing all that back then. Well, physically.
1: It seems like when you watch Quincy back then, there was more of an effort to, tr- like, attempt to spin off to another yeah. show. Like, there's a couple of episodes of Quincy where, like, Quincy's barely in them. Because you can tell that they're trying to... Like backdoor pilot something. Yeah, backdoor pilot something. And unfortunately, if you ever decide to go through Quincy to the end, the last episode of Quincy, the finale of Quincy after like eight seasons, is a backdoor pilot for some other show that Quincy's only in it for like maybe five (laughs) minutes total. And that's the last episode. It's like the worst, most unsatisfying (laughs) last episode of a series
0: ever because the lead guy's not even in it i wonder why they're doing that i wonder if it's because you know he's over it because the series is canceled or whatever and then they're like eh, because the last episode emergencies they become captains to two guys and then it's literally them sitting on a picnic table outside the ceremony like you remember that time you know and it's all it's like a best stuff so it's like very minimal and then those tv movies or them just going to like Seattle or San Francisco as paramedic like uh, ambassadors or representatives of L.A. and then it's them getting into an adventure in a different city, so it's a completely new cast with maybe the two of them. So yeah, they um, might have been I wonder trying if to that, spin was spin happening that off. a lot. There was... Yeah, and I wonder if the same thing with them. It's just like ah, eh, you know, they're trying to get something out of it before they lose the the money that they had left because the series is ending.
1: Well, there's a um. I don't know. Is it Police Story? Was there a show like that in the 70s called something like that? There's a show where there's like a TV movie starring um, David Cassidy. And he basically is like a 902, I mean, not 9021, 21 Jump Street episode where he's a young cop that ends up going undercover in a high school to drug, to bust some like drug dealers. And I guess like that, that, TV movie, like I think it was police story TV movie where it was just like ended up really being the pilot for a a show called Man Undercover that was a little bit of a prototype of 21 Jump Street, although they get away from like the high school thing pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once it gets going. And it's got um you know, and then some of the cast changes when it gets to become series. Like in the series, his boss is uh I uh, Tony Vincenzo, Simon Oh um uh, uh, Simon Oakland. Oakland, yeah. He's Simon like his o- boss. Tony Vincenzo
0: <laughs>
1: But anyway, so Love myself some Simon Oakland. Yeah, he's in a, he's in a few episodes of Quincy as different characters.
0: Yes, I've seen I saw the race car episode where the race car <laughs> with the tire exploded and he's the he was the the mechanic or something and he's showing up at three in the morning at the M E's he's like, Ah, you know, you're gonna have to help me out, Quincy, you know, so it's <laughs> funny to see the two of them. Um, but that's the allure of these those kind of shows we've talked about um, you know, perpetually that you have all these familiar faces, it's just like an acting troupe. So you're like, hey, look who that is. It's George Petrie, or it's, you know, uh, Elijah Cook Jr. or it's Simon Oakland. And they um, and because you had to wait for like the next season,
1: like they play multiple characters throughout the show.
0: Yeah, they'll come in as somebody else.
1: And then like, you know, nowadays, some... like if you're a New York actor and you're you're like an extra. In law and order, like you can never be in law and order again, you know. Yeah, back then it was like, Hey, kids, I'm gonna play like four different guys throughout the show, this, this series.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then the show I was gonna recommend, I'm watching a little older TV too, and uh, I don't have to stay too quick on it, but I've been really digging since, um, you know, it's it's basically what I'm watching on TV. And I'm if I have a day off and I'm doing stuff in the background, and there's a channel called Retro TV, and um, at three o'clock they they play, which is getting me to watch it, which is great. They play The Naked City, and that's a series which I've loved. It's based off a 1948 movie. Um, there's a box set of the entire season uh, series which I purchased and then i realized now everything is what what's the point of having physical well i mean there's a huge point of having physical media but it's like they stream it now i think you can find it on youtube you can find the episodes of it and uh, i love that show it's for me it's so gratifying because um, on one level it's because um, you know post world war 2 because of the technology of filmmaking and stuff like that they were able to condense stuff so they're able to do more like on location stuff so to speak so it's amazing to see It ran from 1958 to 1963. So it's basically your typical law and order. I'm a big, I love procedural shows like that. So it's either you love or you hate them. And this is basically like the proto Law and Order, if you like the early years of Law and Order, where it was not really much about the detective, so to speak, it's about the story of what's happening or whatever they're investigating. And it's amazing to see New York City again, which ties into the beginning of this podcast about in that era where a lot of that stuff hasn't changed. And that's a fun thing when I watch Kojak or any of these shows that are in a city that we live in, it's to see that like a lot of it's changed, but the majority of it really actually hasn't changed when you see them like by the West side highway or by the gw bridge it looks exactly the same except the cars are different you know so uh naked city has been a show i've been loving so much because it's written so well and it's it's so much like an anthology where you have these beautiful stories that are really um satisfying and great that have a beginning, middle and end in an arc. And you're having every episode you have the generation. It's like, um, you get Jack Klugman, you get Peter Falk, you get Robert Redford, you get, you know, um, uh, Martin Sheen, you get, uh, Robert Duvall, you get, uh, all, it's a ama- Christopher Walken. It's amazing how many, people guessed as if you were a new york actor of that era you'd be on the show so for us now looking back all these people who are icons not even b actors and if you know b actors like you and i are talking about like i wouldn't like, not simon oakland being a b actor but people of that level I mean, that a char- did a lot of like television. character
1: actor who just showed up yeah and
0: everything so you'll see people all the time, but as well as that, you do see these icons like Peter Falk or Robert Redford or, um, you know, again, Robert Duvall. There's so many people that are in it. In every episode, it seems like there's a new somebody else guesting in it. And again, it's another idea of where there's people who come back and play multiple roles or play different parts. And it's always a story about, and that's the, that's the hook. There's 8 million stories and there's 9 million stories in the Naked City and this is one of them or whatever. You know, and it's just so fun to watch and it's great because it's 45 minutes or it's 50 minutes, it's, it's under an hour or so and, and it, it's so satisfying because 100% of it's shot on location. So I really enjoy that. And seeing all these young actors of the time doing, you know, stuff at like, you know, in, in uh, Times Square or freaking, you know, at the end they're on like the 59th Street Bridge like... um who was Dennis Hopper was going to kill himself. So he's like, I don't know how they did it, but he's like getting o- off on the side. He's hanging off the 59th street bridge and they're doing wide shots. So it's him doing it. So I'm like wondering is they're scaffolding underneath. They got to have a hook on them, you know? So sometimes some of the, since they're using real locations, you wonder how they do some of these stunts and these setups, you know, while yeah. the city's not shutting down. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: well, you know, those are, I mean, not, not stunts, but like I watched, um, Sweet Smell of Success not too long ago. And although so much of that takes place at night, it's hard to make out things. But every once in a while, you're like, oh, yeah, I know where that
0: is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Stuff like that. It's an allure, and it's an example of, again, uh, I love early television and stuff like that. And uh, I've been really digging it. <laughs> it's just funny. It's just the stuff that's on during the day, you know. Like I find these retro channels, and I'm like, holy crap, you know. And it's it's this nice. Like I had the box that I was trying to get through Naked City, and then it kind of you fall off, and it's like, ah, eh, you know, you forget. And then now that it's on, I'm like, oh, three o'clock. I'll turn it on, and it's on in the background. And I end up watching it. Oh, this is freaking amazing, you know. So I've been really digging the past couple months when I've had a day off and I put it on in the background. I'll watch something. And it's like, oh, it's always so satisfying. Yeah. You know, it's like you miss the storytelling like that, you know. So it's fun. Anyway, we could go on and on. Maybe we will in in another episode sometime. (laughs) But
1: uh, I think maybe this might be a good place for us to uh, call quits. To to, to pull the plug. We each talked about a few movies and a television show and uh, a couple of other movies snuck in there and television shows (laughs) snuck in
0: there. Yeah, we we had some other stuff on the list, but you're right. It's like we can go on forever and then get sidetracked about something else that has nothing to do with the other thing. So, you know, but... uh, it's always fun talking, yeah, it's always fun, and then I, I, you know I think we'll do some more stuff as we go down the year, maybe we'll do more like the traditional method of doing a thing and uh try to put more content out. that's always fun, right, you know, and um, you know, but your hand, you're doing the documentary now, right, yeah,
1: yeah, I'm looking to figure out when it's gonna be a good time to go back to l a to shoot more um so far, this year has been. Concentrating on getting the album done um, Less documentary More Kickstarter album uh, So All the tracks are in um, I'm now uh, Going to get them mastered And then we're going to send them off to the uh, Vinyl people We're going to make it the vinyl made um, It's been fun because I'm also in this I think I said you wanted the tracks But I I've started creating music again. I created a song for the album. So uh, I've started dabbling with creating music in the computer, which is totally new for me, not playing live. That's which crazy. Is what, which is what I used to do.
0: <laughs> Yo, that shit's <just>
1: crazy. <laughs> um, but that was my first. I I, I recorded a version of Profundo, the theme to Profondo Rosso by Goblin. I did a cover of that for the album. And honestly, like for my very first. I started it in GarageBand, which I had only, I only ever used once before. I made a very rough demo of a song I wanted to bring in to my band, which we ended up it ended up turning into a song called "A Song for Judy," which is on my album uh, <laughs> "When You Coming Home." I think the name of the album is. But oh, I yeah, did yeah. I did a really rough like instrumental demo of that years like fifteen years ago in GarageBand, and that's the only time I ever used GarageBand. So the fact that this was like really my, only my second time using it, I'm very proud of myself because I think it came out kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. It did sound good. And, uh, and you even, I think you heard it before I even had the the real drums put on it. Richard Christie, who's was a kind of, um, legendary heavy metal drummer, did a drum track for it. So, um. I don't yeah. know if I've even heard that. Yeah. I don't think you've heard that yet. You know, I'll have to send that one to to you. Uh, yeah, it, it, the final version of it because it's changed. Yeah, not a ton, but it did change some once the drums went in. But yeah, yeah. so uh, score to death album is in the works. There will be some leftover copies. Obviously, most of them will be accounted for for the people that uh, pledged on Kickstarter in those tiers. But um, you know, you can't just make like 175 albums. You have to make, you know, <laughs> like, so there will be some leftover that I'll make available. Online somehow where all Those all the proceeds Will go towards the making of the movie just Like the kickstarter account And now i'm just trying to figure out when to I was going to go may but now Chris young isn't around in may so i might Go in june to start To continue interviewing people for the documentary So now that the of, well, Now that the Albums kind of out of the way Now it's kind of like All hands on deck for the for the documentary going forward so yeah that's what i'm up to
0: that's nice what about you so another book in the works yeah i've been working on another book sequel to the first one blood in the streets a kind of prequel been doing that on the side so you know blood in the alley yeah blood in the alley (laughs) blood on the floor blood in the sheets (laughs) blood on the roof blood on the roof i was on a tv show and they um uh, a very popular one to promote the book, Blood in the Streets. And then when they put it online on Facebook, they they re- they did it wrong and they said, Uh, Dion talks of Dion Bayer talks about his new book, Blood in the Sheets. <laughs> <laughs> and I messaged them, I'm like, That's not the name, it's Blood in the Streets, but that sounds like a very different book. You know. <laughs> up and coming girls and their potential problems. <laughs> um with period pain i don't mean anything else so but yeah i'm just doing that and it's you know it's the other thing too not to get too you know but it's like there's a level of disillusionment where it's like we work so hard at stuff and we're getting older and it's just hard to it's hard to keep that energy going solid that that we've talked in exhaustion about the energy of just having time in the day but i meant also like the creative juices going to be able to not just kind of like you know kind of reside yourself in, 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 uh, where you are in life and, and, and still just continuing to strive and, you know, want to do things and get stuff done. Uh, so I'm trying, I'm fighting, trying to have the motivation of trying to, you know, uh, juggle everything in life and then still have the time to do stuff like that. And, you know, um, I, I can't even imagine people who have, you know, other responsibilities, you know, with, with family or whatever the heck, you know? So, yeah. You know, we, we both work long hours and stuff because of the businesses we inherently work in. There's a lot of overtime or, you know, breaking events or last-minute changes with you editing sure stuff and me in the news business. So it's just sometimes your time is monopolized, you know, and I don't want to say no to overtime. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's good. Yeah. It pays the bills. So... At the moment I'm working on that. I'd like to do more acting and stuff like that, but um, you know, that's just hard too. I don't know how to, to you know, to get into that and do stuff. But I've been doing some stuff here and there. That's really all. So I'm hoping to have the book done. I don't know. I'm a hundred pages in and I started in June, which I should be a lot further. You know, I thought I the other two I finished in six months, but since I'm writing this one not from a screenplay, I'm actually writing it out of my head. I've been planning it for a while, but it's just a lot harder than now to not have that template to to you know get things done. So I'm having to invent scenes and stuff. Where you know I know where I want it to go. I do the old fashioned like cue cards, yeah, uh, index cards on a board, so I know where the scenes are. But it's just connecting the the muscle tissue to those stuff. It's kind of hard. Well, so yeah. it's challenging for any of you
1: out there that are making a movie. You know, Dion Baez is potentially available.
0: <laughs> potentially, yeah. Yeah, if you guys are doing pornos, <laughs> any porn out there now? So in the old days, people used to they remember those actors. They were like, they were like New York. That's how Ron Jeremy, those guys started. Like, you know, they were like regular actors and like, couldn't get work and they were doing yeah. do some porn. Not to say I'm going to do any porn. <laughs> that was where the joke was. Just, a, just another tangent. Just another side. <laughs> yeah, just, tan- you know, just a tangent. Uh, am yeah, t- not saying you're going to see me in a Rocco safetti or whatever the hell his name is. Or he's probably even out of date now. I don't know who the new people are on the block. Um, That stuff's very subversive (laughs) every time you go on those sites (laughs) but anyway um so yeah you could check us out you know we still try Mm -hmm. to post a little bit to our social media uh it seems like it just it's a lot of obituaries but we're trying to get people out there and talking about stuff but um we have our own you know we're on of course facebook instagram uh twitter independently as along with saturday night movie sleepovers and you could find our books on amazon um, you know, if you want to help support us or whatever, or, you know, you're interested, go check our stuff out there. You know, we've both got books on there. They make, they make a great gift. Yeah, they make a you great gift get the gift whole Saturday Night Movie Sleepover for book anthology. Enchilada. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <You> should make <laughs> the like the a whole... box. <laughs> yeah, Let we here, should but... do a limited box set. Both score to death, both uh, <laughs> Blood in the Streets and Morris P.I., put them together, and then we'll... the Saturday Night Movie Sleepover Collection anthology. So... Uh, yeah you could check us out there and then in the meantime i think we'll try to get something out you know for the spring spring is right around the corner as we record this i think what monday is spring maybe <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> really so it's, 50, right it's 55 the degrees out there today you know it's crazy last week it was snowing it was 20 and now it's 50 degrees out so you know it's all you know i worry about the summer i worry it's going to be a hot summer yeah we'll have to see but let's tr- we'll try to get some stuff out in the meantime for for the different stuff and you know surprise you guys and keep you going you know uh, I mean I would love to be able to do this again full time but we had such a great time putting stuff out and building in the audience and all that it just you know again it's just because we have full time jobs it was just hard to to but in the meantime. Uh, if anybody has recommendations of your
1: favorite uh, martial arts movies from the 80s and 90s, I am all ears because uh, I've been compiling quite a list, but still some of them are slipping through, or I'll find out about something. Um, old TV shows also always looking for recommendations. Check out all the stuff that we talked about today if uh, it sounds interesting to you, but we would love to hear, you know, what you guys are up to, what you're watching. Uh, what TV shows, especially in the older categories that you might
0: recommend. Um, I hope we're not dating ourselves with all this stuff. You need to watch this this Charlie Chan movie <laughs> from 1935. One
1: Oland, We did two. Well, you know, I kind of purposely, there was, like, the original concept for this would, was that we would do something new, something old. And, but, um, and I definitely do have things that, like, uh, I've seen recently that I love, but I figured for this first installment of this type of show, I figured, well, you know, you know, everybody's probably seen, you know, most people have probably seen the newer stuff because people that listen to the show are movie fans. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I saw recently that I I enjoyed, but uh, especially with the just got over the Oscars, stuff like that. So I figured I'd keep this one a little bit retro, but uh, yeah, in the future if we do this kind of thing again,
0: we might brand. That's my plan this week is to watch all that stuff. I've got all those Oscar movies, the whale, everything is everywhere. Every how, every who, um, (laughs) the banshee of um, the other one. And I've got them all And is now I'm going to try to get through them all, you know? Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of people out there listening have watched way more movies now than I have. So of the later years stuff, I've kind of fallen behind on the newer stuff, but, um, but, yeah, maybe the next installment we'll you know we'll we'll do some newer stuff too, or we'll talk about maybe music or books or cartoons, I don't know something yeah. Something fun. But in the meantime, you know, you can always find us here. You can always reach out to us. Comments, questions, concerns, recommendations, start a dialogue about stuff. Uh, follow us. And, uh, you know, we're always very talkative about things with people, with our with the listeners and what they like or don't like or whatever. Leave us a review on the, uh, what is it, I uh, not iTunes anymore, Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, I guess. We're also, yeah, I think an we, might, we
1: might be on Amazon Music now. And, uh, okay. you know, there's... You can find us,
0: various places, yeah. wherever you listen yeah, to Yeah, we're on a lot of streaming services, so if you look us up, you can probably find us. And then you always dive back in the back catalog, let us know, because a lot of people, that's what we get a lot of people talking about, that they, yeah. they're they going through and they're going and- A lot of people are you know, discovering, re-listening- Discovering old Or just episodes. discovering it. Yeah, or they're just going in order, which is crazy. That's kind of a binge right there, <laughs> you know, going from the beginning. The evolution. They're going through. Yeah, of the sleepover and the quality, so- but um, hope to talk to you soon. I'm sure we will. We'll, we'll, we'll have something out for you maybe in the spring, you know, which is again around the corner. This is probably going to drop in the beginning of the spring. So I mean like later on in the 2023 calendar uh, and then maybe we'll do some stuff for the summer, some surprises and stuff and I'm sure by the end of the year we'll get in for anniversary and we'll do the horror Halloweens and we'll maybe do something for Christmas but maybe we'll throw some other, you know, fun things in there in the meantime, you know, some you old, never uh, know. You old never style. Know. You never know. You never know, Mr. Blake. Well, it was fun. You, having me over here tonight and I hope your mom's alright with us she's not pissed <laughs> off that we stayed up too late drinking you know, all the coffee in the house
1: cracked open you that know. bucket of pizza and uh yeah the
0: whole bucket of pizza she didn't realize we were coming over so we're eating her leftovers and she's gonna be pissed out of the freezer know. bucket of pizza yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like <laughs> it was, this big meat freezer it took 20 minutes to defrost <laughs> yeah <laughs> we put the whole bucket in the microwave and then it was breaking tried, the tried to tray because it wasn't turning tried to break off one slice yet. but then all the cheese got it stuck couldn't. it was a whole yeah a hold put it in the microwave and then it's like beep beep and then she's like why is the microwave going for 20 minutes like well because we're defrosting it and then we'll break in the turntable underneath because it's not turning because the bucket's so big in there (laughs) terrible all right well always a pleasure never business we will see you very soon thank you for listening and take care later